Welcome to Watching Westworld, the officially unofficial podcast for Westworld on HBO. I'm Jim. I'm Aaron. And today we're talking about Season 1, Episode 3, titled The Stray. Uh, we got a runaway bot. we got Dude. a runaway host. What, what do you do about that? I don't know. It seems like we have multiple uh, runaway <laughs> hosts. I mean, uh-huh. Dolores, I think you'd be just as apt to describe her as The Stray. And it's kind of keeping in the tricksy meanings because you know when i first saw the pilot the original you think it's going to be something about the original westworld and it turns out it's about dolores and then chestnut we talked about how i had multiple meeting meanings last week and we got a new one in the feedback um and then this is the stray we have the obvious stray in the canyon but then the unobvious secret stray dolores mm-hmm. straying from her loop straying from her loop She's not keeping her promise to Bernard, which makes you think, what other promises she's not keeping? Um, vis-a-vis yeah. not telling people about conversations she's having. I don't know. I, I, I like this episode because I think it's the first one that started giving us clues to the human motivations. Yeah. Like, we really started getting some some clues, not complete clues, because it wouldn't be Westworld if it was just straightforward and... Mm-hmm. Uh, obvious, but a lot of clues about Ford's background and what he's doing, and maybe what he's not doing. Uh, a lot more clues about Bernard's history and what he's doing. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, yeah, I definitely want to talk about those two in depth yes. because they're the driving force behind all of this, or so it seems. Uh, the triad of them and Ed Harris seems to be the primary. <laughs> if you're talking about human and asterisks there by the man in black uh-huh. uh ast- actually asterisks by all three of them because there's a there's a pretty vigorous debate in case to be made that they're all they're all hosts they're no guests here <laughs> okay uh, i don't buy that in any sure anyway but sure all right but, but i think with bernard and and dr ford that maybe you're supposed to wonder you uh-huh. know if they're if they're human but uh yeah it's, i mean if if when you see the scene of ford giving teddy his backstory right uh I mean, how can you watch that scene and not go, well, maybe all of these people are... Well, especially when you got that jackass, you know, force... Re- what, are, what are they called? The reaction force, the security force, when he's, you know, joking mm-hmm. with the girl, oh, maybe maybe stellar cartography is part of my backstory. I mean, right. a lot of that is, is us having a, them having a laugh at us, the audience, or with us, the audience, but a lot of it also intentionally blurs the line between what yeah. they tell us are obviously hosts and guests and... And and the very premise itself of the show. Right. Are these robots or are they people? Right. And, uh, and by extension, are we people or are we robots? Sure. Like, yeah. There's effectively no difference at some point. So. Right. Yeah. We, uh, I mean, I mean, no one denies that we are biologically meat, right? Right. Uh, but yes, we, we, we grant that because we have this thing called consciousness that makes us different from the animals we exploit and, and any, any other thing, living thing on Earth. So, uh, yeah. Great show. It seems to be a great show. <laughs> it is. I still have like 15 windows open in my browser of just like stuff I was reading right up to the point where we had to do this podcast. So. I got 15 windows open in my brain uh, <laughs> trying to keep all this stuff straight. Yep. Plus, uh, I like, I mean, two. I'm by camera. Are you keeping, yeah. Uh, are you keeping up with the state of the art as far as the ARG game? Uh, I have not, no. Uh, it was a very, very busy weekend for us, so sure. I've not had a chance. They've added to the the Visit Westworld site a little AI bot that like you can chat with and ask questions about your visit and the nature of the park, and you can get it to crash and say oh. some really interesting debugging stuff that we'll be talking about in the feedback section. Uh, so, yeah, they continue to be amping up um, 
uh, ramping up each week, there's probably going to be some new delight uh, or horror, as it were, on their website. So, right. Passionate fans probably want to. I, again, I've, I've got mixed feelings about this. This multiple channels of information are being employed here, but uh, it's it's pretty cool so far. Yep. Do we have anything we want to do before we get to the recap? I don't think so. Or should we just go for it? Let's do it. Okay, we start off with Dolores once again being questioned by Bernard. He gives her a copy of Alice in Wonderland, has her read a few passages from it, and then kind of asks her if they mean anything to her. And there's, you know, some a, a little bit more discussion here, but that's the main thrust of this scene. Uh, I don't have all of the passages she reads, but one of them was uh, essentially about if she's been changed in the night. Mm-hmm. Um, how queer everything feels today, I think, is the first part of that. Right. Um, I just feel like if <laughs> you're trying to... I don't know. I, I thought I made the joke when I was watching it about uh, Jeffrey Wright's character, Bernard. Like, if you... It seems almost reckless to give a robot that you have got, you know, to feed them this kind of material. Alice in Wonderland. Um if, if if you're trying to awaken a consciousness or whatever, like Jesus Christ, why don't you sit her down and watch? Let her watch the Terminator, right? Uh, introduce her to the concept of Skynet. Uh, you know, it's like uh-huh. this is this is dangerous reading for a threshold AI character. But yep, and I think Bernard is aware of that. I think yeah, he seems. I mean, I think it's fascinating their second conversation after uh-huh. he has the conversation with Doctor Ford, where he's got some misgivings, but he leaves it almost more convinced than ever about the righteousness of what he's doing. Right. And and it seems that he's convinced by Dolores herself um, in in that moment. So, like, th- this first conversation, it's very clear that, you know, he's acting as kind of a rogue element here. And, uh, it, you know, not c- certainly without Ford's implicit permission. Right. But, or, or I'm sorry, explicit permission. But uh, there does seem to be some kind of implicit uh, permission here to do what Bernard is doing. You think so? Why? Uh, just the the conversation they had about mistakes in the first episode, uh, and kind of how Ford himself put the reveries in. Uh, <laughs> I, I think there's some kind of collusion, like not direct collusion here, but they both understand what each of them are doing, huh. and they're allowing it to happen. I think you might be onto something with Ford, but on the other hand, he did directly caution him from doing this uh-huh. thing. Like, don't make the mistake of now. This could be, you know, a, a question that is, you know, you, if you know Bernard and his his smart, inquisitive nature, and the fact that he's searching for answers as far as immortality and, uh, you know, how how to retain memories of the deceased and and you know, moving towards away from the artificial and towards the real. Then I guess if you're a smart character like Doctor Ford, you could say something like that just to send him down that path. Mm-hmm. You know, like it's it's essentially, uh, you know, every time you see in a horror movie, hey, don't ever go into the east wing of the mansion. Right. Don't ever try. It's like you know for sure. Then the fucking second act, the character is going to go into the East Wing because you just told him mm-hmm. not to. Yeah. They might not even known about the East Wing, but now for damn sure, it's like you know, peak their seed. interest. Yes, it's exactly. Accepted him. Uh, yeah, and and that also, I feel like Ford's motivations are kind of linked to this concept of bicameral mind, which I want to talk about more later when we get to it. Um, but he seems he does seem to have some kind of duality to him. Right. Um, both in the decisions he makes and kind of uh, how he treats these bots. So, uh, uh, but what, before we, I also want to point out though, what I thought was interesting is he keeps asking if 
she's told in one of her conversations, mm-hmm. she doesn't refer, she doesn't respond in the affirmative or negative. She she just repeats, "You told me not to." That's not a denial, and I think that's, that's true. Yeah, that's interesting when you have her like to, to keep in mind for further interactions and as the season develops because. I don't think that even that even Bernard's aware to the extent that she perhaps is playing him. Yeah. So I, I can agree with that because he was alarmed by the fact that she went right to his son, ask of questions about her, her son or his son. And she disarmed him by, you know, first of all, he's, he's, he's still believing that when he had, tells her into analysis mode, that that's actually, mm-hmm. I mean, I, I don't know. There's just so many subtle things I see this actress doing when she, like when Dolores comes back online, she like does this subtle kind of like pleasant smile routine. And then she loses that and she's going to analysis mode. That's what the the robot's doing. That could easily be an affect. Sure. You know, that they're, they're, they're going along with these things. Um, I, I don't know. I feel like increasingly we're going to see her conversations with Bernard. We are going to understand that she's manipulating him, perhaps. I don't know. Yeah, I think um, at the end of that, when she, she says she doesn't know why she said a particular thing. Right. Uh, that kind of indicates to me that this analysis mode is still working. Yeah. Or uh, Because if, if she were hiding it the entire time, she would have just made up some other excuse for that. Yeah, that's. I guess that's what I'm trying to say. Maybe articulating that I think they're laying the groundwork for some of these responses. That she's 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 too primitive in her state of conscious development to to understand the utility of lying. But right. they're kind of. I, I'm aware as an audience, they're lulling us into this belief that this is like some kind of superpower that she, right. that must be. Yeah. But she's already giving answers, and he's accepting them. I don't. I don't mm-hmm. I'm not saying that she's being deceptive when she says, "You told me not to." However. We, as the audience and Bernard, accept that as like essentially confirming that she didn't when in fact she did not. So, right, it's like I don't think she's being she's lying right now, but she could, mm-hmm. and nobody is really picking up on that. Maybe she could. I, I don't know. I'm not sure how these work because he does say that kind of this analysis function, right. these voice commands are kind of the only thing left of Arnold's work, um, his, his sort of quest for consciousness. Um, but it just so, seems like that's not literally true because we are seeing her develop a form of consciousness before our eyes. Right. So if they'd stripped all that stuff out except for maybe the ability for them to interpret, you know, the conversations they're having as dreams and the voices they're hearing as kind of like, you know, imperatives from some godhood. Well, I mean, I think those were put back in with the reveries, right? Mm. I mean, that's that's Ford's contribution to this whole. So he's mess. he's <laughs> so you're saying that he's surreptitiously inserting this old Arnold code back into their routines. Seems like it. Huh. Yeah, I, I get the impression very much that as Doctor Ford is aging and as he sees um, what his work has become, he's viewing his he's, partner's work in a different light. Right. He now okay. doesn't view him as a, an obsessed madman. Uh-huh. Uh huh. Who who is kind of off the rails as far as the mission, which is to please people with a, a old timey park. Right. He now kind of sees him as doing something bigger and grander, right. and maybe wants to follow in the footsteps. I don't know. Interesting. I got I got it a lot. It is weird more. what he tells Bernard. But. When we get to the office scene, I, I want to really de- dive into that because there's some intriguing, I think, half truths being told here. Okay. But we'll see. Uh. So. Alice in Wonderland, this book. Mm-hmm. Uh, obviously, Dolores kind of looks like Alice. 
Yeah, uh, it's obvious in retrospect, the blonde girl with the right. kind of curls in their hair and the light blue dress that, yeah. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, they're obviously leaning into that. I read an interview with uh, with a couple of the writers, and one of them, uh, one, one of the things that they're taking inspiration from, obviously, is Alice in Wonderland. Mm-hmm. The other thing, they're also, they're, there's a painting called Christina's World, which... If you look at it, it's very much like the ranch that Dolores lives on. Right. Um, and, and that painting shows kind of a girl looking up, like laying in the grass, looking up these plains toward a house on a hilltop. Hmm. Um, and it's it's not necessarily unsettling, and it doesn't necessarily imply that there's anything bad going on up there. Mm-hmm. But there's some kind of either longing um, in just the girl's uh positioning Mm -hmm. or or some kind of fear um that that i was picking up on anyway Hmm. in the painting but i'm not i'm not sure exactly what they're getting at with that but yeah christina's world i don't know who the artist is uh so dolores is sent back to the park where she wakes up and finds a gun in her dresser then she has a flashback of the man in black from the barn and when she comes out of it the gun has vanished and she goes on with her day so there there's a theory that we're going to be talking about throughout this that I don't personally find persuasive, but we're going to have to talk about it. The fact that we're having s- different timelines that the that that essentially the man in black and and William are are a 30 year different timeline, and that we perhaps are seeing the genesis of the man in black and William, or that fact that the William storyline takes place. 30 years ago and Dolores's timeline as well and that these are formative events and some part you know portions like there's one theory that William literally becomes the man in black there's another theory that you know whatever William's actions do it are, are what started Dolores down this path mm-hmm. and this is one of the points um one of the the pieces of evidence was that theory the fact that you know she had the gun and now she doesn't have the gun like one of these is the different timeline i interpreted it as her programming kicking in there's something that's anomalous that's not supposed to be here like a picture of a woman standing in times square uh-huh. and she her her consciousness is is, is stripping it out right. um so she looks and the gun's gone after she has this flashback what do you do you do you buy that interpretation or? yeah i mean that seems to track with what she said when her father showed her the picture doesn't she look said, like anything at all looks like nothing yeah right so you see a gun, and like I'm not supposed to have this gun, so the gun shouldn't exist, right? Then she goes about her day. Uh, I don't know. It definitely it comes up again. Certainly, this idea of the gun. We'll get to that. Um, Williams walking through town, where he watches a guy being brought out, uh, brought in on a bounty, and the guy shoots some people and tries to escape by taking a hostage, and he shoots William in the shoulder, and he's knocked down, but he gets back up and he kills the guy. And this bounty hunter invites William on a mission, and he decides to go on a bounty of his own. Bounty hunt of his own. Uh, this, uh, Logan. Logan is just constantly fucking. He, there yeah. is not a moment that he's in this park that he's not fucking something. Right? If his, if his balls aren't aching, then it's time to fuck again. Yeah. Uh, we, they, they do nail down kind of the particulars of their relationship. They may or may not also work together, but we know for sure that they're either... I think I think they're they're future brother-in-laws. That that William is in a relationship. He's engaged to his sister. I'm actually reading this as some kind of extended brother-in-law bachelor party, right? And that William maybe doesn't like her brother, and maybe uh, you know uh, he's he's Logan's not aware of how much he doesn't like him. Mm-hmm. That sometimes happens. 
Sure. Uh, but yeah. he stuck with them because, oh, you know, go to my brother. It'll be fun. Uh, oh, I don't know. It's interesting because also Logan implies that, you know, his sister, William's fiance slash girlfriend slash perhaps newlywed wife, um, has come to this park and fucked a shit ton of cowboys. Okay. Now, maybe that's Logan huh. projecting. It might be, yeah. Um, because he didn't say I had certain knowledge. He says, what, you think my sister didn't ride, you know, blah, 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 last episode. So, I don't know. Those that's That stuff is interesting, I guess. I just loathe Logan's character. <laughs> okay. Uh, anything to this bounty hunt? I mean, it seems like that's just there to get William out in the desert. Yeah, to stumble across Dolores, who right. might have this, had this breakdown 30 years in the past, or if you believe what well, I believe, and this is a unified timeline, mm-hmm. uh, he's there when she goes off her loop, Yeah, um, which is which is kind of interesting. Right. Um, okay. The Teresa confronts Bernard about the increasing problem that is Dr. Ford's secret storyline and tells him that the board wants them to get their shit together, basically. Uh, you know, they can't have... A bunch of bots running around like half the the storylines are in disarray because of this thing like he's he's carving out large swaths of the park for this storyline which i think is interesting mm-hmm. what is what does that look like there's, there's yeah like, how much is that is there like yellow lines and like ford's narrative do not cross like what does that mean i suppose you could put you could put a program you could just put a couple lines of code in that bots to, to just say don't go out this way yeah but if i was a guest i would be like fuck yeah i'm going out that way it's the whole don't go in east wing problem <laughs> oh sure i mean the guest the guest could go but they don't know not to go i guess there. that's and true if, the, if if it seems like this place is so huge that mm-hmm. unless you just start wandering off in one direction you're probably not going to you're going to go wherever the storylines are taking you or whether right. the hosts are talking about yeah and if the host suggests, hey, we should go up to this mountain and find the right, bad guy right. versus the other mountain, like, right? they could probably lead you by the, the nose. Sure. Uh, and also yeah, the it's... fact that Bernard is getting into some trouble here because uh, some of his technicians, i.e., what's the Elaine, What's the, the kind of mousy-looking one that's got the foul mouth that's always saying? Elsie. Elsie. Yeah. Uh, Elsie's getting him in some hot water because he's t- saying this is all case closed and she is still – Pulling at the edges of right. uh, of, of this. Yeah, she told her not to do last episode. <laughs> well, she's a curious person. That's why she's good at her job. Seems like nobody does anything that they're supposed to do in this park. <laughs> it's a wonder it's not yeah. just a house of cards. Maybe uh, it is a house of cards. Yeah, so she's analyzing what happened with the Milk Bottle Bandits. And she comes to the conclusion that Walter was holding a grudge. Uh, fortunately for Bernard, she notices there's a stray host. And Bernard tells her, you should go check that. You Take- should go grab this host while i finish up the procedure here sure sure uh, i'll do a little digging and she you can see it on her face that she's both surprised to be taken off in the middle of what she considers an important discovery mm-hmm. and also unsure of the intentions of bernard yeah or whether she's being punished is this like a you know punishment detail what's going on yeah she's gonna start wising up pretty soon i think the biggest foil for bernard is gonna be her hmm because she's the closest to the problem. She seems very smart. She is curious. It, it it definitely seems like they have a very similar tension. Like, you know, uh, Bernard is to Ford as Elsie is to Bernard. Okay. Possibly, you... except for Ford might be leading him a little bit more. <laughs> right. But, you know, because... I think he is. Because but... Bernard's poking at the edges of uh, Ford's plan, which mm-hmm. I don't know that Ford necessarily appreciates. 
okay. and Elsie's poking at the fringes of she is not even aware of it, but she's poking uncomfortably close to the fringes of Bernard's larger plan with Dolores, and he doesn't like that. Yeah. All right. I um, thought it was also interesting, you know, when we later find out about Arnold that the this uh, Walter, who's the growing boy, Miltbor, mm-hmm. uh, he is referencing him by name. Yeah, not a character, not a host, not a guest. The actual co-founder of the park. Right. What the hell? What? That is certainly interesting. He, yes. he says, "I need more milk, Arnold." <laughs> Who's Arnold? And and why? Well, we find out later, and that doesn't really help us make more sense of the situation. Right. I don't think so. Anyway. Uh, and you know, we find out that all six of these victims were people who participated in his killing in previous narratives, which is why Elsie is suspicious of it. Uh, that's kind of the clue that she uncovers. Yeah. And then Elsie and Stubbs ride up an elevator to go after the stray. Stubbs says he doesn't trust the code and that he keeps um, a, a gun with him because of that. You know, just a single line of code keeping it. I doubt it's one line. No. I seriously doubt it's one line. This guy doesn't understand code. Well, but it's also not even like, yeah, as we explored last week, it's not even necessarily code. It's this heuristic network of... Right imperatives and information and backstory and hobbies and like i'm i'm with him man i would never go in that park without something that could take down a robot me too so and and he uh i think he's uh validated in this belief by the time the episode comes to a close i would say so um so teddy and a woman shoot a guy in the street for a bounty and they head over to the saloon where mave has a flashback to uh her time in the lab where she saw ted teddy dead on the floor and the woman who's with Teddy goes upstairs with Clementine, and Teddy sees Dolores outside. Their loop kind of starts again with the the milk, and they head out into the field where Dolores tries to convince Teddy to run away with her, which I think is different. I, I don't think this has happened before. No, and it's something, you know, it's interesting because, as Ford explains here in a minute, his Teddy's real purpose is to keep Dolores on the farm. Right. Which he is actually doing... Um, And I think it's interesting that I guess this kind of goes into your theory that Ford is doing this stuff with Bernard deliberately because it's awful convenient for Bernard's experiment, Dolores, that Ford is taking Teddy off of his primary task of keeping her on the farm at the exact same point that she's establishing this consciousness and this yearning to find out if there's anything more to the larger world outside. Yeah. Uh, also, this loop just keeps getting sadder and sadder. Like, every iteration of these these robots who are kind of sort of falling in love, one of them genuinely and the other be- going through the motions. Right. It's, it's tragic in every sense of the word. I feel so badly for them both. Okay. I really don't still. <laughs> wow. Uh, I'm starting to get there. But, okay. Uh, just from the one side. Like, Teddy has no fucking clue what's going on. Well, no, but I mean, that's what I'm saying. Teddy's it's it's a, just a, as pathetic to be... Metal. It's just as pathetic to fall. I mean, like this is all stuff that was explored in the movie Her, but mm. it's somewhat pathetic to be in this unrequited love affair with a piece of hardware. Mm-hmm. And then, like the, I guess the twist in, in Her is that then it isn't unrequited, and then it goes, it gets more and more <laughs> right. complicated. So it's just so impossible. <laughs> yeah, but but here it's funny that a robot is falling in love with a less sophisticated evolved robot. Mm. It's I don't know. It's uh, it's it's I don't know. It seems very it's a, a human thing to do. Yeah, um, and there's this this concept of someday uh, that Dolores latches onto and doesn't enjoy, 
Um, she's starting to feel the control, the the edges of the this this fi- the fence that she's in, right? Yeah, I mean, to me, so it's interesting. Like, I know Teddy is there to keep her on the the ranch, but I think it's more the concept of Teddy than the actual physical presence of Teddy. Because Teddy, we've seen him go off on missions. We've seen him not be with Dolores for a day, right? right. So, I think it's the original idea that Teddy's coming back for me. Yeah, yeah you're because, right. You're right. That's the he always like. That's what he starts with. I told you I'd come back for you someday. Yeah, and that's how he always leaves. I, I noticed that all you right. know when he goes off on this quest, he says I'll be back. Um, so Teddy as a concept is there yes. to keep Dolores even when on the he's ranch. not like physically. Yeah, I don't think he's like the Terminator. He'd show up like, "Where are you going, Dolores?" <laughs> right. It's more like that's part of her control structure. That's mm-hmm. what roots her into this place. Yep. Uh, so th- they ride back to the farm where the bandits are doing their thing, and then we go to. Ford, who has Teddy in the lab, uh, he tells him that his backstory is too vague, and he uploads a new one about a man named Wyatt who went missing dur- during a military mission and came back with, quote-unquote, some pretty strange ideas. That he, and, and he claims he can hear the voice of God, which is interesting in, con- in, in context with his yeah. bicameral mind concept. Mm-hmm. Also, um, what Ford says that this is like all the best fiction is rooted in truth. Mm-hmm. What the fuck? I guess that's is is Wyatt essentially an evolved droid, an evolved synth synth synthicated synthetic robot, synthetic human. Evolved synthetic human. Well, well, Wyatt doesn't exist, right? Wyatt is a figment of Teddy's imagination. No, I think that there actually probably is going to be a robot that's identified as Wyatt. We meet Wyatt's men, so okay. I don't understand why. But the fact that his, what makes him different is he's del- he's a delusional, insane. I mean, I mean, he's ex- exactly what uh, Doctor Ford and Bernard are going to be talking about here in a bit. Yeah, I mean, when I. When I think about it through the lens of that bicameralism, mm-hmm. um, I don't know that I would call him insane. I would call him conscious. Uh, I'm just saying, using Doctor Ford's own terminology, he says there's two. You know, he says there's there's a. I guess there's two types of people that talk to themselves, and he didn't really elaborate on the first type. But he goes, the second type are those that are, in, you know, Bernard themselves are yeah. insane. Mm-hmm. And you know, um, I, I just think it's interesting. You know, we talked about. Introducing religion, we talk uh, in, into the park as one of Doctor Ford's mission objectives. That's a theory from last week. Uh, then he's talking about this character can hear the voice of God. We know that that's how one experimental way of getting the robots to be conscious went with his former partner. This stuff is just—I don't know where it's all going, but it's definitely going in that direction. What do you make of his the opening statement in this scene? Um, that is a quote from I think Shakespeare. Says a coward dies a thousand deaths. Um, the hero, but one. The, yeah, or the whatever. Essentially, the value yeah. taste of death, but once or something. Um, what is he getting at? I mean, other than the obvious, which is Teddy doesn't die and Teddy doesn't feel these things, right? And the, uh, and the irony that a, is, he has actually died like a thousand times, yet and, it hasn't dulled his courage, right? It feels like there should be something more to that than just some sense of irony. It does, here. yeah. I mean, you could take it as just uh, Doctor Ford just essentially intellectually masturbating in front of this inanimate object. You could, but yeah, the show doesn't really encourage a shallow analysis of that, does it? But wouldn't I'm trying to dig into it deeper because I think that kind of thing would betray his goals in some way. Well, I mean, it's also I I don't know because also it does seem like maybe that this is something that Doctor Ford does intentionally to dehumanize his creations. 
Mm-hmm. Um, it doesn't fit with like our theory that he's trying to humanize them, but like as he you know, berates this technician later on, like, you know, why why are you making any kind of concessions of this fiction this this fake thing's comfort? Uh-huh. And like the fact that he is the whole time he's talking shit to Teddy. He's like, oh, you think he's like, well, you're never going to have her, and you exist only to be somebody, you know, to be the rung that someone steps up on their, you know, ladder of self-esteem, and right. and oh, you don't know who why it is? It's because I haven't given you that knowledge. Yeah, yet. it's like, like he he almost. I don't know whether he enjoys taunting his creation, or maybe he's he's just always being this brutal to to keep this lesson in front of his mind, so he doesn't accidentally humanize them. But if that's the goal, it kind mm-hmm. of conf- it it kind of flies in the face of what I think he's doing in a larger. Way. Yeah, yeah. His actions seem to be betraying his ends, or, or I, I don't know. He's he's kind of uh, being hypocritical here with what he's saying and what he's doing, right? Which I like to, you know. There's this, this saying that like, if you want to know what a person's really doing, don't listen to them. Watch what they do. Right. So I feel like his actions are betraying someone who's trying to lead these robots to some form of consciousness, and it doesn't matter what he's saying. It could be right. he could be saying that just so it's like you know no one would suspect. Mm-hmm. Like, well, you know, Doctor Ford's the he's the the least evolved and and most brutal in the way he treats these creation. I don't know. There's, so it could be he's just using this as some sort of social camouflage. Could be. Uh, Dolores is hassled by the milk bottle bandits in town, and they have a guest with them who backs down when Teddy challenges him. And the bandits leave. And so, Ted- so it seems like a guy who might want to, like, hey, I want to be a bad guy, so put me on the bad guy track. Right, but, but it's the first time But here. he's a noob, he bad guy. He wants something easy. He wants to dip his toes in the blackout water. Right. Uh, Teddy's too high level for him. Uh, the bandits leave. Teddy takes Dolores out to the desert to learn how to shoot, but she's unable to fire the weapon. And then the sheriff rides up and tells Teddy, hey, we found Wyatt. He says goodbye to Dolores and leaves with the sheriff. Right. We got to talk about this gun. Yeah, the fact that I think that they're getting at, much like the the new code or the new restrictions put in place, specify what characters can and cannot have a weapon. Right. That she just programmatically cannot wield this weapon. Mm-hmm. Uh, just like the other guys can't chop the wood because they're programmed. It's not that she's unwilling to pull that trigger. It's that she's it's physically that she's unable She to. has a restriction just like, you know. I, I think it was also now I'm starting to understand the rules of the park, mm-hmm. why Teddy could pump the man in black full of holes but he couldn't when the gun was right against his head pull the trigger because that actually might kill ed harris if he is indeed flesh and blood if this 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 simulated round like just like i wouldn't mean right. i you can shoot me at 30 paces with a paintball gun and it's all fun and games if you held it right to my eyeball i'd be like don't pull the trigger man yep so <laughs> i think that that this is you know she's just got like you know guys like teddy can wield these weapons, but they still are on some level of their consciousness aware of what will and will not kill a guest. Right. It's it's very much but that. But Dolores just can't. Yeah. She's she's classified as completely harmless. Yeah, we've talked about this, how the the bots are there to provide the illusion of danger and they must... They're also there, like, they understand what their role is in this park. Right. But they can't use that information to influence their actions within the park other right. than they can't to metagame. keep the people safe. Right. Right. They're not – it almost seems like they're subconsciously aware of what their role is. Well, that's kind of like a bicameral mind concept that yeah, you've, they've absolutely. got like 
they have a they have awareness of the fact they're an android, or else this analysis and stuff wouldn't work. But they have on a lower yeah. level a a show consciousness or a, a stage consciousness that has their character details and all these scripted lines and whatnot. But that clearly can be dismissed or in a, and activated at will. So Teddy we is should. aware that he's a robot that he has semi you know non lethal ammunition that could be lethal in the right circumstances. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, and and also the fact that Dolores has that same programming, except for she's able to override it or overcome it. Right at the very end, uh, we should describe what this bicameral mind is because I don't think we've done that yet, and we've used the term okay. several times. So this is um, a concept that was originated in in the 1970s by a uh, psychologist, Julian Jaynes, in the book "The Origin of Consciousness and the Breakdown of the Bicameral Mind," where he states that this bi so so. Human beings evolved, you know, mental the, the the brain and their consciousness, but and and you know like you know hundreds of thousands of years ago. But he states that up until about three thousand years ago that the way we interpreted this phenomenon as our consciousness was that when we'd hear like our inner monologues, we would interpret as like you know uh, authoritative statements from a god figure. And right. he cites as evidence um, – there's a couple of things. He has physical evidence where he's like, you know, you have you, – we have left and right brains. Mm-hmm. And, you know, like uh, our speech centers are located in one side of the brain primarily. But we also have speech centers that are largely inactive in the other half of our mind. Mm-hmm. But when you hook up someone to an EKG and they're having a hallucination, right. uh, either induced by drugs or by psychosis, that dormant side of the language center – is is asserting itself and, and actually the active part. Mm-hmm. So that's why when you're hallucinating voices in your head, it feels so real because your brain is interpreting that other half of the brain that's usually not processing language as an outside force. You, yeah, you feel as if it's not coming from you. And then so that's one. So that's so that's part of his analysis. The other part of the analysis, he goes back in historical literature and and you know and and notes like if you look at really ancient texts like. Uh, you know the the old Hebrew parts of the Bible, um, pre 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 classical Greek literature. Um, you know sp- stuff that was uh, written down in scrolls of Egypt. There since tends to be like they viewed consciousness, but they didn't have like the idea of you had a conscious and subconscious. Mm-hmm. That stuff that like that that thoughts that were in your head that were not like. I don't know. It's very hard for me to to explain because I don't quite understand it. But like when you see a novel, like experience, like when you go to the edge of the cliff and you're having a conversation like self, you better not get any closer than that. Mm-hmm. That ancient people actually interpreted that as a god telling them, like giving them wisdom or something, you know, like right. guidance on things that they weren't sure about. And it's and and oftentimes it's just a, a figure of authority. So if it was associated with like a, a king or associated with the the leader of a tribe or something like. They would hear that voice essentially. Right. They would interpret it as being from that person, and right. so like it's reflected in a lot of death rituals as well, right. where and they why preserve they, the body and, and and why they would you know they wanted to keep this continuity. Like the Egyptian kings became the literal gods because their right. decrees and commandments would still be in effect even after they're dead. Yeah, people are still hearing those voices. Now, interestingly enough, because there was an article that directly addressed uh, this. Um, from uh, a current psychologist and uh, someone who studies the brain, a neurologist, uh, someone asked him this in context of he was he's actually works at the association that's named after Julian Jaynes, mm-hmm. uh, and they asked him is like has this been disproven because the show itself asserts that this is a disproven model of consciousness because it's not been disproven so much as it's been ignored. 
Like, right. you know, there's not, there's, it, it, and think about it. How do you falsify this? How do you set up an experiment? It's a theory that has no way. I mean, the, there's no new information. There's nothing to prove it or disprove it. And, and it's a very internal thing. Too. Yes. Um, very difficult to examine in the first place. Right. Uh, now, that's not to say that whatever future this show takes place in, right. that camera all mine hasn't been completely debunked. Right. Um, and proven false. But, in our current world, it's right. not. And it's also interesting because the way people talk about the bicameral mind is like – because it's not a change in our evolutionary – nothing changed in the mechanics of the brain. It's right. it's they, they, they When they talk about it, they had an analogy as if it is a software update. Mm-hmm. Like it's the way that we perceive and the way that we – as we move around from authoritative – you know, kings and, and high priests, and we move more towards a democracy and more to the idea that everyone has a say, mm-hmm. that the, that that way of looking at it changed the way we perceive our own identity and our thoughts. Right, which, and it largely came about um, through through the understanding and, and the more and more complex language that we use. Yes. Um, which ties right back into the show where they're talking about the, the bots talking with each other um, and how this may have emerged simply from them trying to be more human through language right. and discussing things with each other. Um, they develop some sort of introspective abilities. Right. Um, and all this stuff is intentionally, obviously. Like, I, right. I, it, it seems to me that Jonathan Nolan or his writers have, were familiar with this, and, like, you know, these things were yeah. all stewing, and it's like, oh. You know, even if it is a busted model of consciousness, like Dr. Ford asserts, there's nothing saying you couldn't develop this as a way to get consciousness, because there's probably multiple ways to get to consciousness. Obviously, yeah. evolution did not choose. <laughs> mm-hmm. It's just, you know, these mistakes and accidents and mutations until we got to the way we, we got. So Yeah. All right. So that's bicameral mind. So yep. you, you kind of have a better understanding of what we mean when we're talking about it. Um, But, yeah, I, I, don't, I don't know um, if you want to talk any more about this gun. But Dolores is definitely surprised she can't pull the trigger. Right. Uh, which comes into play. And he, they rationalize because I think that's in the real world. There's people that can pull a trigger and there can't. So then Teddy's right there to rationalize it. Like, you know, some people just weren't meant to. Right. You know. The look on her face doesn't say, I can't do it because I don't want to. Right. It says, I can't do it because I literally, I physically can't pull this and, thing. And that's the fascinating thing about the show is that they're, like, I, I feel like the robotic actors are doing some really heavy lifting mm-hmm. and doing a lot of this subtle things that can be interpreted multiple ways. Oh, yeah. So several dudes are arguing about who's going to go chop firewood for their food around uh, an unlit fire here, uh, an unlit campfire. I think it's hilarious that they might have been doing this for days, just arguing back yeah. and forth about who's the lazy fucker that won't. Like well, we have been. You, you can chop the wood. Yeah. You don't have to have wood. Yeah, I think it's that's pretty funny. Yeah, because the scene freezes and Elsie walks in explaining that the stray was the guy who was supposed to chop the wood for these fools. Uh he he left and he got these guys caught in a loop and they missed their other missions in town for a couple days now. Right. Uh, they go inside the tent and they find some carvings with strange symbols on them. Mm-hmm. Uh, and and here's where, you know, they they really solidify this idea of some bots just being programmed not to be able to use weapons because Elsie says some of them can't even touch the axe. Right. And and you know she has a little conversation with Stubbs about weapons and like. Oh yeah, it's orders from Q and A, and you guys are so paranoid. Right. Q and A, Q A. Sorry, <laughs> we just did a Q and A. Right, it's on your on your mind. Uh, so I, I guess we'll talk a little more about the stars when we get there. Yeah. Yeah. When we discover that they're stars. Right. 
And so, I don't really even have a you know I don't know where that's going. Although right. it does seem like the 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 it looks like he's carving a turtle shell and it had Orion. And I know when mm-hmm. we were watching, there's a debate about whether the bear had a carving of Ursa Major on it, which is the Big Dipper. Also, Ursa Major literally means big bear. Because in I guess in the the okay. old the old horoscope that that constellation was a bear, mm-hmm. not obviously a dipper. <laughs> okay, and I'm not. I don't know anything about the constellations other than I didn't their see, rough shapes. I don't right. know what they mean. And I also, like, like I didn't recognize Orion until she spun it in the right direction. Right. It's not completed. Also, like it didn't oh, didn't seem like he okay. he had like the head, shoulders, the waist, and the the bow, but like the lower part of Orion's skirt doesn't seem to be there. Gotcha. So like he was like maybe in the middle of carving it when he freaked out. Yeah, uh, that could have been the thing that made him freak out. Sure. Yeah. So Teddy describes why it's men um, who. I guess I'm going to call the masks because why not? Uh, they're essentially reavers from Firefly. Uh, yeah, they they have they're crazy. They kill people. They do all sorts of horrible things. They've uh, gone mad from Wyatt's teaching, which I think is interesting. Right. In in, in light of Doctor Ford's uh, uh, narrative and what we think he's trying to do with it. Yeah. So I mean, if if. Wyatt is the supposed to be one of the people who's developed consciousness, then this sort of madness that he's talking about is just basic consciousness. Yeah, that's being spread by, like, verbal commands or, right. you know, who knows, like, just random ruminations. Because, like, you know, Abernathy thought about this picture for a full day before he lost his mind. Maybe yeah. his woodcarver started carving his constellations, and that jogged something. Mm-hmm. Um, and we get a little more history with Wyatt. Uh, then they find some rotting men tied to a tree, and they're shot at from the ridges. Some of them go back to town, but Teddy continues on with uh, the guest that that's with him. I did like the slightly hacky dialogue. You know, like the, the, they're riding down a trail. This is like video game dialogue when the characters are talking to themselves, and they're just get they're just dispensing backstory uh-huh. while you're riding from point A to point B. And it was noticeably not up to the show's standards, but I thought that felt felt like, yeah, this is just an old-timey Western narrative, and it's not particular refined dialogue or even a great performance by any, any of these people that I know are capable of doing it. It's just... Okay. NPC, it's NPC chatter, right? <laughs> right. Right. Which, Especially if you don't always know, coming from the sheriff. I, like, I, I, I should have explained this, because not everybody plays video games, but NPC, non-player character. It's the right. the guys, you know, because your character is largely silent through most of this shit. Mm-hmm. It's just stuff that they want you to know. Yeah. Uh, so I'm super curious about why... Why does Ford give Teddy this particular backstory? Because... Uh, if we believe that he's given him a story about a man who has developed consciousness, uh, is he? What's he getting at there with Teddy? Is he trying to? Is he trying to tell Teddy that this is the path? Is he? Is he performing an experiment with Teddy to see if he will realize it? Is he trying to prepare the world to deal with Ed Harris? You mean the the park? Yeah. Hmm. Because hmm. if from a certain point of view, and I don't what know do if mean? I'm if I'm down with the man in black being a um, a guest or if he is a former host that has somehow broken the bonds and and and, and, and gotten his freedom, but you know, um, I, I, I honestly don't know. I honestly don't know because it seems like it's just a parable of what's actually happening. Right? How does that ha- help Teddy? How does that help any of the 
the hosts. Kind of what I'm getting at is is Ford like leaving breadcrumbs for other people, sure to find right um, to discover what he's doing, and if so, why? Uh, because you're right, it doesn't seem to have any value to Teddy beyond what we as an audience get from it. So if we are wrong about Ford's motivations, and and Ford is actually trying to continue to press forward with these realistic robots, but he's 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 come up to a hard line where any more real and they're going to develop consciousness and in fact that this level of uh, verisimilitude they're already accidentally developing consciousness by casting characters who are hearing the voice of God and deciding this land belongs to them as the villain mm-hmm. is he actually putting another subtle layer of control to where the her- the the, the the on-script robots will see any robot that tries to lead a out, you know, uh, uprising mm-hmm. because they're become sentient as villainous and try to kill them. Like it's a weird kind Maybe, of like but, underlying, sophisticated safeguard against the very thing that he's trying to do. Maybe, but why? Why get so sophisticated? Why try and kind of do an in run around QA with it? Like QA can go out there put put a saw in their neck and take him back to the lab and decommission him if they go off the reservation. He doesn't need that mechanism. He's I already guess. got a mechanism for And control. also they've got the true Samaritan reflex. I don't know. That's just an idea that I yeah, had of I, like because it would be kind of an interesting layer like if he's trying to push the boundaries and he's like okay, it's inevitable that 10% of these hosts are going to go and, and break. Right. Or they're going to break through their the, this veil of, of artificiality. So it's like an optimization. And, 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 and the Samaritan reflex isn't good enough to handle like an intelligent conscious thing that I'm going to have this backstory where all the robots see something like that is inherently evil mm-hmm. so that they will stop it within their scripted selves. Right. I don't know. That's kind of interesting. I, I still don't Maybe. have a great, great, great handle on that. And also – I mean self-correcting in any system is good. usually a good thing. Yeah. Uh, it certainly optimizes, right? It's more sure. efficient. Um, right. So maybe. And it's also less prone. It's something the robots are coming up with themselves internally and not something that's like right. direct code or something like that. Yeah. So I don't know. But that, that grants that Dr. Ford is actually not trying to liberate the robots. He wants them <laughs> to be. I don't know that I agree with. But yeah. if you take his words at face value, it's exactly right. what he's saying. Like he's all for more realistic robots, but he thinks letting them gain consciousness is a fool's errand. Or even granting right. them human consciousness is a yeah, fool's Yeah, there's errand. something about Anthony Hopkins' lion face that I just I, <laughs> I don't believe in. It's the, it's the uh, Hector Lanable. Or Lan- Hector, God damn what? it. <sighs> Hannibal Lecter. Yeah. Speaking of my <laughs> software, I just bear all my software flaws. <laughs> uh, okay, let's move on. Elsie um, and Stubbs are tracking the stray, and Stubb realizes that the symbols on the carvings are the Constellation Orion. Uh, and they asked the same question I'm asking in this this particular scene. Where is the stray going? So he sees stars. He's carving them. And they seem to almost be some kind of map. Well, I mean, that's, you know. Right. Yeah. I mean, obviously, the navigation that we used to do as human beings was based largely on stars. Well, that's like – so if you go back to this bicameral mind ancient man concept, one of the reasons the ancient man were interested in the stars is because they quickly realized that they're useful for navigation. They're useful for prediction of seasons and when years are coming to close because they didn't understand all of the orbital mechanics involved. Right. But, you know, we're, we're pattern-matching machines, and we see these – these these stars rotate into the sky when it's about to get cold. Like that's all useful information to have. So if you are 
trying to make the analogy that these robots are at the bicameral primitive mindset, maybe them paying attention to astronomy is another kind of nod in that direction. Mm-hmm. Like that they are um, maybe not worshiping the stars, but they're realizing some kind of significance with them. Yeah, could be. Uh, so then Bernard goes to see Ford, who is in the process of humiliating a tech who has covered a naked host. Uh, Bernard asks to speak in private, and they go to his office where Ford explains, um, or or rather Bernard explains to Ford that a couple of the hosts were hearing the same imaginary voices coming from, or, or referencing a man named Arnold. Right. And Bernard kind of demands the truth from Ford, and, and Ford tells him about his former business partner, Arnold, who helped develop the park originally, and how Arnold, Arnold wanted to create consciousness, and how he died. Well, doesn't tell him how he died. I was going to say, for someone who demanded the full truth, he got half-truths and fabrications. and Yeah. And and also, I think it's interesting. Uh, first of all, when he says, you know, when... Uh, what, what was it? When uh, the legend becomes more interesting than the truth, you print the legend. Right. Which is that something from The Man Who Shot Liberty Valance, which is a classic John Ford film, which, yeah. you know, this, I think, is another way of paying homage to how much they're borrowing from, from his work. Mm-hmm. But he's essentially saying that what you thought you knew about the park and its early history is a lie. I think it's I think it's very plausible that Anthony Hopkins or I'm sorry, Dr. Ford's character is saying that or what he's telling Bernard now is also a fictionalized version of the real truth. Like mm-hmm. it'd be easy enough for Dr. Ford to substitute um, uh, uh, shit. What's the for other creator? Arnold. Arnold. Like what if what if uh you know Arnold believed what Anthony Hopkins believes now and Anthony Hopkins believes what Bernard believed and okay. he died and he's free since no one's there to remember and the board's not interested in asking his questions like he's free to just say oh that was that was his cross to bear not mine mm-hmm. and reality that's the stuff that he's still trying to work for right and um, there's also a sinister like if you play if you go down that keep going down that it's possible that Dr. Ford intentionally had uh uh Arnold killed because Arnold didn't want the robots to develop consciousness and you know he engineered a situation cuz he say well, it was an accident but he was far too careful for some kind of accident to happen that almost either he committed suicide by robot or he was murdered by robot right right that's uh, what we're getting at well hmm. I, I thought you were suggesting a moment ago that, like, let's say, for instance, in this scene that the story is mostly true and that Arnold is the guy who was striving for consciousness in these bots. Right. And that Dr. Ford um, was always, you know, not against it per se, but more in the camp of we don't need that. Yeah. Um, and has gradually become... Uh, or or gradually, as it happened, became more and more against it. Right. That this is the last thing we want. These because yeah. now, also the now fact- flip those now flip those physical people and say Arnold was killed, but Arnold was actually Doctor Ford. Yes. And that Doctor Ford lived on, but Doctor Ford was the guy who was working toward the consciousness. Yes. Okay, I, I thought that's what you were saying. Yeah, that, that is. these two people are in fact the opposite people from the story. Yes, not not physically. I don't think he literally changed identities. I'm no, right. To, yeah. He's free to substitute whatever philosophy he wanted because uh-huh. uh, nobody knows the real truth. Uh, I don't know. I think Possibly. that's that's interesting. If, if and then all of his his words are there to camouflage the fact that he's still actively working toward that. He's hiding in plain sight, right? Essentially. 
And he's only telling Bernard this because Bernard's demanding answers, so he's giving him the answers that he thinks Bernard would want to hear. Right. Uh, and he has he has kind of been working in secret at this point to develop consciousness. Maybe like, you know, because some event happened, right? So there was some kind of event around Arnold's death. Um, I I think personally, it might have been like he actually did succeed in his mission yeah. to develop consciousness in one of these bots, and then the shit broke bad. Yeah, robots developed insanity as well, and because you see, and killed him. You know, part um, there's a lot of things we see. We see the there's this blonde character that i'm going to call as an old-timey prostitute and they're teaching them how to dance with the robots and then as he's saying that the robots develop consciousness he's linking that the madness and you see the technician interviewing this woman and she's got she's scratched her face all up which seems like something a a person that's not operating at peak mental uh, uh abilities would do mm-hmm. and then we also something also interesting i want to point out is that's the same character that we see as hector's right-hand woman right yeah. who's got what I've since developed, learned in research is a snake tattoo on her face, hmm. which is interesting in light of the prophecy that was given by the, the little Latina girl that was uh, uh, Lawrence's daughter. Yeah. Who said that you need to seek the maze by the blood red Arroyo where the snake lays its eggs. I don't know how this, you know, that's so you got a lady with a snake tattoo. I don't know how she lays eggs and all that stuff, but there is a little bit of, um, imagery coming together there sure i don't know exactly where it's going what do you think of dr ford's office like uh, like he's essentially sitting in the middle of the 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 house of black and white from or the basement of the house of black and white from game of thrones he's got all these faces on his wall he's got some dude right. that's playing a player piano in the background mm-hmm. i thought it was kind of creepy slash cool yeah i did I, that's my exact feeling on it the other thing is creepy slash cool how about the young anthony hopkins that was amazing. Like uh, it looks really good. I mean, what they did like it makes what they did with Jeff Bridges in the Tron movie mm-hmm. look like a bad joke, and I thought that was fairly impressive. Yeah, I mean, that was so fucking convincing. Now it was a super short sequence. I mean, it was a super like, short. He's sequence. on screen maybe three seconds, and they were but... using kind of a sepia tone effect to kind of suggest mm-hmm. this was like old a little bit. He's a little desaturated, so they had a yeah. lot of tricks that they were using. But I thought that was amazing. Yeah, it looked great. Uh. And I wonder if that was actually Anthony Hopkins acting and they did some kind of digital de-aging of him or if that was an entirely CG Hopkins. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Yeah, I'm trying to put together what Ford's motivation here. Okay, let's say that Ford is not Arnold and Arnold is not Ford, that this story is more true than than we want to believe. Uh-huh. Um, so Arnold develops consciousness. That consciousness kills him in okay. bot form. And so that's the incident that they're talking about. All right. That happened 30 years ago or whatever. Uh, we don't know that those incidents are the same. No, we don't. We don't. But I'm I'm going to I'm going to go that direction with it. All right. Run with um, the baby. If if that's true, we could be seeing Ford near the end of his life changing his mind on what Arnold was doing. Yeah, I mean that's I think that's that's the plain reading that you've got if if you go with all the uh, other theories. I mean theories. the plain reading is Ford isn't trying to develop consciousness, but okay. clearly his actions, the <laughs> actions right. he's taking are. The first level subreading is right. that he has been, as, as the ruminations of an old man thinking about his partner and 30 years ago, that, right. and, that and nagging. And also the fact that it seems like maybe Ford is dissatisfied with the way this park has developed. Mm-hmm. Like that in the early days, they were just doing this creative work and like they want to show it off to people. But the fact that 
because he said that you know um, his partner was wrong about two things. Uh, you know, number one, you could, you're creating crazy robots, and number two, this park and what it's become. The last thing you want is your host to be conscious because they're just being playthings for these people to live out their power fantasies. Right. And and his rebuke of Lee's character seems like that whether he intended that or not, he is dissatisfied that that is what the park has become. Right. Yep. I don't know. Uh, but he does tell Bernard not to make the same mistake as Arnold uh, and and invokes his son in it. I know the death of your son Charlie still weighs heavily on you. Um, Which kind of connects what Bernard is doing with the desire to somehow have a hope of reconnecting with the son. I don't know exactly how, whether he's going to make a robot version of his son. I know a lot of people had the theory that we briefly talked about uh, that that robot boy that Anthony Hopkins met last episode was essentially a younger version of him. Right. Which I I don't know. Maybe. I don't. So far, that's just a theory, and it doesn't have any really pro- pro- probative value. Right. I guess it could be that direct. I, I thought it was more of like an indirect thing um, to to kind of nurture a thing or to to he says you mustn't make arnold's mistake and he says why would i and he says well i know your death your son weighs have well how right. is that i don't connected? i don't think he's trying to necessarily physically recreate his son yeah i think he more has a desire to nurture a thing which could result in him nurturing this consciousness in these robots yeah but then if you take so if you if you in isolation yes but immediately this scene follows with the conversation he has with his ex i think wife right where she says they talk about the unreality of this of of their son being dead Mm -hmm. as parents and how it just doesn't seem real and bernard makes a statement that the pain of losing him is all that i have left that makes it feel real I don't know. I feel like those these these things are connected and they go together. That we're that this is supposed to help us understand Bernard's motivation for doing what he's doing to Dolores and why. I mean, is right. He, I, I just don't think it's that direct. Physical well, it could be that, that he's trying more to more of an emotional thing. Yeah, and also it could be that we're supposed to connect the fact that he's seeing this as like a proto daughter. Like like he this is another creative right. works that this is uh, that's what I'm getting. This at. is a is an intellectual offspring of his. That's yeah. That's exactly because because he at. also makes a direct connection between his relationship with the son and how he feels about letting Dolores go mm-hmm. and you know sink or swim. So yeah, that's a pretty good reading too. But I don't know. I'm I'm looking forward to see seeing how all of this plays out in subsequent episodes. Did you know that the this may be a, a spoiler alert? I don't know if people want to skip ahead ten seconds, but it's an interesting fact. Episode ten is going to be called the bicameral mind. Huh. I don't think that's a spoiler. That's just information, okay. man. Just information. <laughs> uh, so we kind of talked about this scene with with Zoe from Firefly, uh, where Bernard's talking with her on a screen about their dead child. Is there anything interesting to the the idea that this might tell us a little more about where Westworld is? Because they do say it's very difficult to get a connection out here. Hmm. Um well, making it seem like the park is very, very far away. I mean, I had people suggesting, uh, both in Reddit and in my inbox, that this is taking place on Mars. That's okay. And where do you think Zoe is? Earth, I guess. But I mean, that's this not is... physically possible. Why? Because the, there's no delay. Oh, right. 
there would absolutely have to be a They've delay in communication. They've invented faster light travel. Right. Now, if we're going down that rabbit hole. I mean, who knows? But that's, through that that's, looking glass. That's a great point. Um, and also, I just find I don't care. Like, if Westworld is all underground, if Westworld is in the southwest, if Westworld's on Mars, if Westworld's in a space station, like, so far, that's not mattered. So, right. you know, I don't choose – I mean, I, I find that that kind of level of – it's kind of like the also, like, you know, people getting hung up on the simunitions and their capabilities. Like, that that also is not very interesting to me. Sure. Uh, if, like, unless a theory tells us something about the world, right? then I don't care. Yeah. So, and it's been, the more tenuous the theory is, the less I'm willing to entertain it. Yeah, and and honestly, like even if we found out it was on Mars, that that tells us something about the physical world that they're living in, but sure. it doesn't say anything thematically about the show. Not not really. So, it really doesn't influence my opinion on it one way or another. Right. Uh, and I guess I'm with you. I don't really care all that much. Although it would be cool. I guess from a sci-fi kind of perspective, if it were yeah, no, somewhere it, it other than us, just in the desert, it would tell us they can do real-time communications <laughs> right. in in faster than light information travel, which would put which them, changes the game. It changes the game quite a bit. But <laughs> yeah. on the other hand, like you know, they've got these really sophisticated biological AI robots. Like, yeah, I, I guess it. I, I just don't find it super interesting at this point. It might become interesting later, and then I guess you guys get all the internet points in the world for calling Mars. But right. Yeah. They're also calling it because there's – I think it was maybe downstairs in cold storage. There's a globe with which has the Westworld uh, – the, the word Westworld printed across it, but the continents are not anything right. near what we see on Earth. Right. So – yeah, I mean, I don't know what I to make know. of. I don't know what to make of all that, and in you know, it's 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 great to note. Like I haven't forgotten any of this information, but mm-hmm. I just don't know what to do with it right now. Right. Okay, uh, Elsie and Stubbs find the stray stuck in a crevice in uh, a rock formation there. A lot of zombie imagery. Did you not feel like, like this guy was shot like a zombie from Night of the Living Dead? And oh, also yeah. the guy's nailed yeah. to the tree that kind of came back to life. Mm-hmm. Uh, are we going to have like a Halloween zombie episode in a week or two? I hope so, yeah. <laughs> yeah, you're, you're always open for that. Let's do it. Why not? Taking it to the Walking Dead. All those faces on Ford's wall come alive. Sure. Start uh, gnawing on him. I suppose there's no reason they couldn't start talking, yeah? Well, so, I mean, that's, yeah, because when I first saw that, like, I thought instead of just coughing, the person said, like, boo or something. And I'm like, that's weird. So, like, were those robots supposed to be dead? And oh, I think that's all for effect. I think this is part yeah, of yeah, Lee's yeah. storyline. Okay, sure. He's like, let's have a cough in their face when it wakes up, and that'll scare the shit out of them, and then right. shoot at them. But this is also Ford's storyline. This is? No, what, 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 what? Oh no, not this! But the guy nailed to the tree is that's part of Ford's new narrative. He, they're after this uh, Wyatt character who is in play, that's, that's definitely part of Ford's narrative. Oh, I suppose you're right. He, he says it's a small part of his narrative, but yeah. I don't know. Yeah, so yeah, I don't small. think that's Lee's shit at all. Okay, good. Uh, we haven't seen Lee this entire episode. We don't he see got, him. Uh, he got the he got his uh, got his walking papers and his walk. <laughs> Ford got his walking boots. He got his walking papers. No, he'll be back. Yeah, I'm sure he will. Uh, okay, let's talk real quickly about VR. Okay. Because we have hypothesized that some of this might be taking place in VR. But this makes no sense. Zero Them sense. tracking this robot in physical space makes, right. yeah. Right, right. So bl- can, we put that, the VR. can we put that theory to rest? I think we can. 
it would be insane to have elevators into a world that you then have to walk across sure. a fucking tundra to get. Yeah, yeah. I, I think that that's, that's pretty good evidence. The fact that they didn't say – okay, the other thing is uh, I guess the blow from the – the Westworld's underground, which, god damn it, I don't find interesting. I don't care about because, uh, what'd you say the guy's name was? Tubbs? St- Tubbs, yeah. yeah. Stubbs. Crockett and Tubbs are out Ashley looking Stubbs. for him. He mentions that they're getting satellite imagery, and that's how they're tracking this guy, which my first thought is, why the fuck can't they just track him? Like, do they not right. really have GPS locks on every one of these droids? They should. Yeah. So. I would say that this proves VR, but they're also – I don't feel like that they give a shit about the precise nature of how this technology works either. Like they don't – like Jonathan Nolan does not care about simunitions. Jonathan Nolan does not care about whether this is real or virtual space. He's wanting to tell the story that has nothing to do with that. So like maybe some of this stuff is contradictory just so people don't fixate on it. Uh, I mean that's a curious decision for a showrunner to make, but – Yeah, I don't know. I just think – People are speculating wildly, and we don't have enough information to come to a solid conclusion yet. Yeah. Uh, but I feel like there probably is one. They probably right. have something in their mind, and maybe there are small contradictions, but okay, there's probably an idea. Uh, so Teddy's group encounter Wyatt's masked men. Teddy sends the guests running and distracts the masks until they kill him. Ah, oh, love that little fanfire moment. That's it's so, so cool. Yeah. Yeah. But, uh, let me ask you this. Do those guns affect does, – does his shots affect these masks? Well, so – Teddy, in his NPC dialogue, mentioned that these guys fear do not fear death and are conditioned to not feel pain. Mm-hmm. So it could be that, like, I guess it's like the, you know, uh, like a, the guy huffed up or, or all hopped up on PCP. Like, you know, they, they take multiple bullets, but they keep coming because they're not feeling the pain. And until you actually physically disable them with a shot to their arteries or something. I, I feel like it's ambiguous because his dialogue says that maybe they're capable of that because it's not like that he got shot and three days later they're still marching through the desert. He shot them as they were advancing within melee range and then they all just kind of collapsed onto him. Okay. Like, you know, so it's like I don't... And they and if, you know, if these are uh, hosts, they could certainly be programmed to not react the same way as the other hosts, right? Right, right. To be the scary monsters in the mountain that no one can kill. Right. So... Oh. uh it's. I, I feel like that you. It, it maybe some of these guys are going to quote unquote die, but Teddy just you know you'd have to shoot him in the head maybe to disable him, and it looked like he gave him all gut shots. Yeah, it was cool though. He was cool. He, he was really very, fired that. I never. I guess appreciated how skilled Teddy was with a gun until this episode because yeah. he's always just seen as this joke. Mm-hmm. So Elsie calls Bernard to explain what happened with the stray. Bernard talks with Dolores again, and. Um, he struggles with whether he's made a mistake that he should correct or let her continue to evolve. Because ultimately he decides to let her continue. Ford's talk made him doubt himself. Yes. Right, which what is about, strange because I think Ford is working toward the same goal. But And, and why did Dolores' talk, like, what did she say that made him feel like that? It's weird because he seems so convinced by Ford's conversation and then Dolores reconvinced him. So mm-hmm. if he goes back to talk to Ford, like, you know, like... What is his true mind? Well, I, it's, I, she says, I think I, when I discover who I am, I'll be free. And I think that's the thing that triggers him, his understanding that this is more than they've programmed and that this could be. That she deserves and to make this choice? This could. Right, yeah. Like, he doesn't want to take that away from something that may or may not be, in fact, conscious. Especially after he's got this information from Ford that that's what Arnold was working on. Right. Uh, and then and, he plagiarizes Ford's dialogue from the previous episode about the evolution and being, right. you know, just a series of mistakes. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then again... And he thinks he's made a mistake, 
or, right. or he imagines he questions have i made a mistake right uh and he's gonna let that mistake lie just let it be well also the fact that he's like i think what he really appreciates is that because they imply that dolores is no longer being reset or at least not fully that like you're you have to promise me you're going to stay on your loop even though you are becoming aware that bad things are happening to you. Right. And he's like, you know, if you had two versions yourself, one that was aware and one that was blissfully unaware, it's kind of like the red pill versus blue pill. Mm-hmm. And she's like, doesn't say one way or another, but kind of like, I, I kind of want to keep exploring this to find out which of those I prefer. And then he immediately draws a connection between his son and 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 her like implying that he considers her almost a child of his now, right? Which I thought was interesting. Yeah, um, and, and I think that's why he can't bring himself to destroy what he's created here, right? And he says stay in your loop, not because that's what's good for her, but that's what needs she needs to do to survive. Because if mm-hmm. she goes, you know, AWOL, then they're going to hunt her down and and hack out her control unit, which apparently involves severing their heads, right? What the fuck? That seems like that was just for sensational sensationalism right yeah it's it's rather silly i and honestly i don't know why that robot smashes his own head in if if this is part of the psychosis that uh that the bots were experiencing when arnold experimented with them uh it seems like maybe it is i think he was caught between his because we see this pyramid there was Mm -hmm. memories improvisation uh one was this was self self interest right yeah he was caught between his programming to not harm, like the self-preservation, which is if he needs, if he's going to survive as this creature, he's got to escape and terminate these. But mm-hmm. also his higher-level program that forbids him from harming a guest. Right. And he split the difference by bashing his own head in because mm-hmm. he couldn't. He he didn't want to like I I won't become a slave. You you know you won't take me alive, but I also can't hurt you to get what I really want. So he locked up and bashed his own brains in. I thought it was cool. Yeah, no, it, it was cool. Um, hmm. I, I guess I would not program these bots the same way that they are apparently programmed. Like, let, let's move on to the final scene okay. where Dolores is in the park. Um, the guy who the guys who escaped the masks right into town, and Dolores finds out Teddy's probably not coming back. Uh, she goes back to the farm where the milk bottle bandits are doing their thing. They drag her to the barn, and she grabs the gun of the bandit. She's unable to shoot him until she sees a vision of the previous encounter with the man in black, and she then shoots this guy. And after killing him, she rides off on a horse. But uh, throughout the scene, she's also realizing the nature of her loop because she's get, get, she's picking out things that Milk Bandit's saying, like, oh, you're, you know, there's nobody, your your daddy and no gunslinger here to protect you tonight, which kind of implies that that milking bandit is becoming aware of his loop, too. Uh, sure. Yeah. Okay. Right. Because why would I mean the daddy is one thing, but gunslinger like what the fuck? Right. Like Teddy's not there, and his mind he Teddy would never be there, but he's accessed these I, reveries. And is there any chance it's like a, a reference to part of? Their oh, backstory? you know, or you know what? No, fuck it. I mean, yes, uh, the, it's also referenced earlier this same day. Teddy scared them off. Oh, right. Yeah. So duh. Yeah. Um, <laughs> that is uh, kind of obvious. Uh, yeah, but this is a but huge... it does it what what he said does jog her because mm-hmm. she repeats it to him and he slaps her and then she finds the courage to change her programming when she sees fragments of the memory of the the man in black confronting her. Right. I mean, this is a huge moment both for Dolores and also for I mean this episode because it brings together the concept of bicameral mind into right. 
into uh, with all all three things, right? Self interest, um, the memory, and also the improvisation. Improvisation, which I don't know that Bernard ever put her back into script mode. That's a good. I, God damn, I'm never, so glad you remember to say that because I want. I had it in my notes to point it out that he puts her in analysis mode. Now, I mean, it's like he into also improv mode. Yes, he, yeah. in, in, improvisation only. So I don't know whether we're supposed to think that when he led her back to the floor um, that he probably did that and we just didn't see it. Maybe. Or we're supposed to understand he made a mistake on top of what he's already trying to do. He's Maybe this is the key to allow her to... Yeah, I didn't even think maybe it's just a straight-up mistake. Like he meant to right. turn her back. Right. And then just forgot. Yeah. Uh, that would certainly play into the theme. But the the other thing cool that's happening here is this bicameral mind yes. is going on on the screen because We've we been... hear Bernard say, kill him, shoot him, whatever he says. Is it Bernard? Because I think it's kind of ambiguous. Uh, it is ambiguous, but the, the voices that she has heard in the past, I yes. think, have been Bernard. Right. But, but um, we're recontextualizing this with because we've been wondering why, who is this, and what have... It, that could so so if you take the bicameral mind theory, these are not Bernard's words, right? These are her own thoughts that are coming from who she views as the god figure, and right. she's putting it in her. But these are actually her own thoughts. Yeah, we were thinking these are some kind of embedded commands, but if you understand the bicameral mind theory correctly, yeah. no, those are all coming with from within her. These are things that she wants to do. Yeah, which is why I I really love the end of this episode. Yes. I think it brings it all to get yes. together so nicely, puts a bow on it. Um and. I don't know. So I did want to talk about like how I would program them differently. Why are they even able to overwrite those core programming? Uh, that that core programming that they well, have. I mean, like when QA says we don't want them to be able to shoot guns, d- does that mean ah we'll put a line somewhere in the routine that says that, or does that mean physically hardwire these fucks so they can't shoot guns? I because you can physically no, it would have to be software them. because they're these thing guys are reused all the time, and this is something that they just. You know, yeah, but you swap out a chip, you, I guess. you do whatever. I mean, we could do that today pretty easily. But on the other hand, like I, uh, you know, it's obvious to me from feedback that we've gotten. We got one from a, a scientist that works at the Large Hadron Collider who's done a lot of AI and neural network research, and he essentially said the same thing wow. only much more authoritatively that we got from the Wired article last week, which is it's a simplistic mistake to think in terms of just debugging and line by line and logic loops when you're talking about neural network. Right. So it could be that they're doing the best they can and they weren't aware of this, you know, of, of, of this possibility. And yeah, now it's staring them in the face. Now, what, what is Elsie going to do with this new information? Because I don't think she's going to sit still. No, I mean, I she was clearly Ford... off on that horse for, not just to escape the ranch, right. but I think she's trying to escape it all. Oh, no, I'm talking about Elsie, yeah. the technician. Oh, Elsie. I thought you meant Dolores. No, yeah. Uh, <laughs> it's, it's a reasonable reasonable uh, mistake to make to think that I would make that mistake. But, no, I, okay. I think Elsie, like, if she was already on to something bizarre here, right. and now the tension is Dr. Ford ain't going to want to see this narrative come to the close. Uh-huh. The board isn't going to want to see uh, this narrative come to a close. Bernard's not. Is she going to be silenced? Like, is she? I mean, how do you sit yeah, I mean, still this when is this, why... a ro- robot almost kills you, and then you watch it bash its brains in in some kind of weird robotic gridlock? Right. Um, and now Dolores has done something she's programmed to not be able to do. And are who's going to? Are they going to know about that? Is Bernard going to cover it up? Like, right. I would think Elsie could find it out. I mean, she can pull. 
Now, she can pull all the information she needs. Like I said, I, I don't buy the theory that the man in black is William 30 years ago, but it is interesting that they reveal to us what he said to her when he drug her to the barn, which is, let's, you know, want to reacquaint, let's take things back to the beginning. And then the mm-hmm. final scene is Dolores stumbling off the ranch and into William's arms. Right. Again, I don't think that that is so literally... So is she seeing the future? Like, that doesn't make a lot of sense. Well, so that's another thing we're going to talk about in the feedback. The fact that she... Her memory of her loop almost works as a form of premonition. Because she saw... Right, but it's not actual premonition. So, like, the reason she, it works as premonition is because everybody's on a loop, right? And so the things she's seeing have happened in the past. Right, like... like but some, they can some... predict the future in this case because they're all on a loop. So so there's one person that wrote, wrote in to me wanting to know what I made of the fact that, that um, Dolores was shot and then she wasn't shot. And he's like, does that mean that she's become kind of like, quote-unquote, human because she can ignore... I suggest that she had a memory of being shot right. and knew what was going to happen right. and then took steps to prevent it. Which, if you believe that, then she has the memory of the man in black, right. not seeing the future man in black, which would have to be 30 years from now because William is the man in but black. But there's significant... That, and, uh, that makes no sense. Wait a second, what? So if she rides off that, off that ranch uh-huh. into William's arms when right. he's White Hat William, yeah. and then 30 years from now... He becomes the man in black. Well, then that man in black vision would have would have to be a premonition, not just a memory. Well, but you're granting. I because mean, William hasn't happened yet. Well, but what I guess is they're saying that there was some. So Ed Harris says, "Let's get back to the to to the beginning," implying that maybe she's done this twice before. Like we're seeing the first time she did it or a similar condition with William, and then thirty years later she's doing it again because she remembered. I'm trying to defend the fear I don't believe. Right. But I'm trying to do my best that, like, I don't think that there's necessarily a contradiction. They would just have to be really actively fooling us as far as this, which I. They'd have to be really playing, playing, which means the payoff better be awesome because I don't like that as a viewer. I don't like it when they are deliberately misleading me. They can withhold information, but to shoot things in a deliberately deceptive way, I think. And that would be super deceptive to to shoot from. 30 years in the future and say, uh, now we're jumping back in the exact same scene into the past 30 years. And your only clue is a logo change. Right. Which can be explained by... I mean, there will probably be more and more clues, I imagine, later on if that was the case. Yeah, if it was the case. But I said the payoff would have to be pretty big for me not to be kind of annoyed by that. But but I don't know. Like I said, it, it seems like people are... Uh, well, I mean, the show's inviting you to try to figure out these mi- these mysteries. It's just like, you know, if you get down a path, it's like, okay, well, what if it is a loop? What does that tell us? What is that going to inf- – how is that going to influence your analysis going forward? Like, mm-hmm. uh, I don't know. Yeah, it's interesting. So right now she sort of has the ability of premonition. But as more and more of the hosts become be less conscious, less it would be less and less effective, yeah. In fact, if she's She'd going off strip, she's, she's leaving her loop the way I see it. Mm-hmm. Um, so I don't know, like, what is, you know, people are going to find this out. She's going to be a stray, uh, when she doesn't report to her, appro- to her, uh, pre-planned milk dropping point. Mm-hmm. Like, 
how is this going? And, and Elsie's not going to have any, like, uh, not going to want to hear any of these excuses. Like, it, I, I like the fact this show seems like on a weekly basis to build it into situations where, like, man, how do they get out? How do they go from here? How do they resolve? How do you get? How do you have a ten episode season still in Westworld when it looks like in episode four the prudent thing would be shut this shit down? Well, I mean, the people at the top who uh, the people at the top are the ones pushing this forward, so. It's difficult to do an end run around them if you're Elsie, right? Well, no, I, I'm not saying Elsie, but like, go to the board and say they're fucking with them. And obviously, they don't want to give refunds because you know we even dress that how. But do you know what they really don't want to do is deal with deaths at the park and raw and, right. and you know wrongful death lawsuits. And I mean, maybe we're supposed to believe that these terms of service are so ironclad that you can't be sued. But but to me, and more so, they don't want to shut the park down. Also, like I don't so. feel like that indemnifies them against negligence. Mm-hmm. And if they knowingly, like you know, you're supposed to like they're they're telling you the terms and conditions. Like the the host won't hurt you, right. but you could die because of your own dumbass shit. You know, mm-hmm. run in front of buffaloes, or you try to shove a tumbleweed up your ass. Uh, that those are going to go badly for you. Well, if the park knows that their hosts can now possibly kill people, mm-hmm. and don't do that, just. And, and don't shut it down just because of their greed. That seems like a great way t- for a judge and jury to throw out the waiver that you signed because you didn't sure. have full. If the waiver said our host can kill you, mm-hmm. and we are reasonably certain that that might happen, nobody signs that. Right. So, like those terms and conditions are only valid if if you are agreeing to everything in advance that can happen to you. So, yeah. How, but how do they so proceed? Far, how do they keep this covered up? I mean, well, so far, I mean, nothing like that has happened, right? There are no hosts dead, or there are no guests dead, rather. Um, it's something is happening that's unexpected, so you but think nothing Teresa tragic the board, like, has happened. Yeah, yeah. yeah I, he, I don't think Teresa. I think Teresa might want to shut this stuff down, right? But the board also is exerting pressure on her to keep the park open and operational. If they're going to play that, I feel like we so, need to see more of this board too. Yeah, like they need to become yeah. characters that I can gauge their motivation. Well, they can't and... show you it because Ed Harris is on the board. That's why. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> yeah, and he's much younger looking. Ed Harris, he is. That yeah, would, that, that would really flip flip people's weird uh, brains, right? Uh, okay, so Stubbs climbs down to cut the head off the stray, and it wakes up and threatens to kill Elsie before bashing its own brains in with a rock. Uh, well, see, I that's, don't know exactly that's... what happened. But that is um, interpretation because I looked. I actually did some freeze frame analysis on his face. He raised the rock. I don't know that you can necessarily. He's def- clearly distraught, but I don't. Uh, well, threatens to kill is in my mind looks like it. His intent is to kill, but I don't know that, that you is could... true of the screen of what you see there. His. It appears that his intent is to come after Elsie. Certainly she thinks that. That's certainly her interpretation as well, but then he then goes and bashes his own brain in. So it could right. be that he just was putting himself out of this torment as oh, well. Oh, sure. And he no, never I, intended I mean, to that's, kill her. Right. That's, I just want to make sure we're not true, but leading the... Elsie certainly feels threatened here. Yeah? Oh, yeah. I would too. <laughs> okay. But I'm saying if you actually look at it, the, the actual right. evidence is you know silent on his intent. Uh. Sure. I mean, he definitely looks crazy, and he's bloody, and he's screaming. But you know, like, uh, and and you well, can... he does harm to uh, to he shoves him, stubs, he, he shoves d- him, elbows him in his dick or something. I don't know. He he incapacitates him for a while. But I think I think you can get in fistfights with robots. Like they're they're allowed to do that. They're just not allowed to kill you. I guess so. You yeah. know, I mean, they're allowed to shoot you and put a bruise on your shoulder. So, mm-hmm. and then William and Logan are sitting by a campfire when Dolores rides up. 
Yep. And that's it. There you go. That's the end of the episode. Uh, I don't know where it goes from here. I think William might try to help her. I don't know if escape is the right word there, but... And what's Logan run? do? Uh, I don't know. He probably wants to fuck her or something. Right, that's what I'm <laughs> saying. Like, there's there was a lot of speculation about, like, you know, William and Logan coming to heads here. Mm-hmm. Does Dolores have her... Fa- no, Dolores does not have her, fa- her real gun. We speculate is a real gun. I don't think so, yeah. Now... The other thing that kind of supports this time loop is, you know, clearly she she stole this gun. It's nice and shiny. I didn't see if they're the same make and model, but if she buried, if if at, at the result of this, that she as a result of this arc, she buries a gun on her family farm. Mm-hmm. Thirty years later, it would look kind of that shitty and corroded, right? When she digs it out of the gun, the ground, right? I so. In my mind, it's impossible that there isn't a connection between the picture and the gun. Huh. So, I don't think that's I don't think that's going to happen. I think the gun was left there by whoever left the picture as well. Oh. Because they're both buried. They're both in roughly the same. But you gotta like I imagine that those are connected. But because I thought the picture was just like maybe fell out of someone's pocket when they were doing the but it was also buried. Just like was it buried? I thought, but it was sticking up. Right, but the gun wasn't very deep either. Yeah, but it wasn't, like, jutting out of the ground. No, but I would say they were both in stages of bur- burial. I Yeah, I, I'd have to go back. But I, my, my memory was it, was it wasn't really buried. It was just kind of, like, wedged down there and, like, some dirt had, you know, getting, been kicked up by the horses or whatever. Okay. I mean, that's fine. But but, but they're evoking the same thing to me. Like I grant you that like that's a perfectly valid way like to interpret it is that maybe more more invalid that someone's actually – there's an external influence that's fucking with Dolores. It could be Bernard or it could be the man in black or – Right. Because you know, he also comes back and says, let's go take it back to the beginning. Maybe the man in black's doing all this because this is part of the game he's trying to play. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Before we mosey on down to the feedback section, head away from the Sweetwater portion of the podcast into the rough and tumble, you might get hurt, you might get stampeded uh, section that we we call feedback, uh, you might wonder how two guys can spend two and a half hours talking about Westworld each week, and Halt and Catch Fire, and American Horror Story, and Walking Dead, which we just started our podcast for this week, and it's going to be going hot and heavy starting next week. Well, the answer is we do this as our full-time job, and uh, we do that primarily. You notice we don't do a lot of advertising, or at least external advertising. We do it primarily through uh, direct listener support. People see the value of having our independent voices and podcasts, bringing this information to them and recording it, and they see they, they, they have it in their hearts to support us. And they can do that at club.baldmove.com. And it's not entirely altruistic. You get some special features. For, once, uh, for one thing, you get ad-free podcast uh you get expanded bonus features we do like weekly call-in shows like lunch with jim and aaron we do bald movies where we do a spoiler filled review of current run movies do a lot of other different stuff there's vip access to the forums explore all those features and and find out how you can support bald move at club.baldmove.com also amazon if you're an amazon shopper easy way to support us is to go to amazon.baldmove.com for all of your shopping needs that takes you right to amazon you got the same experience from that point forward it doesn't cost you anything that's the brilliant part this is money that we're prying out of bezos live warm fingers he's not cold nor dead we're just we're just prying him out a penny at a time 
uh, and we get a surprising amount of our operating income from people remembering to do that. And all you got to do is just remember to do it. Um, and uh, for all those that uh, do support us, uh, we appreciate it, and they're probably not hearing it because they're listening to the ad-free feeds. Uh, but we do we do require it to continue to do what we're doing. Uh, second thing I want to tell you all about is this is the week of the Rocket City NerdCon going down in Huntsville, Alabama. It's this weekend, October 22nd, 23rd. There's a kickoff on Friday at the Yellowhammer uh, Brewing Facility, but uh, we're going to be down there hosting panels. We're going to be doing meeting and greeting. We're running a booth that has some cool contests where you can win some really cool Game of Thrones merch. Uh, Saturday evening, we're going to be doing a mock red wedding where we're going to be playing a game with uh, audience participation where you can win yet more Game of Thrones themed prizes. We're really looking forward to it. We think it's going to be a lot of fun. And tickets are still available at rocketcitynerdcon.org. Pick one up and say hi to us. And we hope to see you down there. Anyway, want to get the feedback? Yeah, let's get the feedback. Ethan B. has a couple of uh, things he wants to run past us. He says, there's this idea that there's a co- the core code of the host that prevents him from causing harm to any living bi- thing, mm-hmm. which can confirm both in Dolores' interrogation with the head of security and the inability of the host to even kill a fly, uh, which, of course, Dolores does later. My question is this. If the host cannot harm a living thing and know they cannot, then how do we explain the motivation of many hosts to do so? Teddy tries to shoot the man in black. He can't because, as explained in William's orientation, guns don't work on real people. But that doesn't mean he didn't try. Thus, it was a mechanical construct, the gun, that wouldn't kill the newcomer. The host had intent to harm them all the way. In episode two, we see a prostitute slap Logan during an orgy scene. We also see the man in black while interrogating Lawrence get into a gunfight with a slew of Lawrence's cousins. Many shoot at him, and even one tries to tackle him in the doorway. This is clear evidence that the host would harm a newcomer, but they can't. How do we reconcile this with the core code, the core code of never harm a living thing? So this is something I mean, we kind same... of touched on in, in, in the episode, but mm-hmm. it's the idea that these role that, you know, this bicameral mind that the, the, the robots have two modes of operation. One, right. which is the unit itself knows on some level, it's a robot and it has the good right. Samaritan reflex Yep. And it knows that if I shoot this person from this range with this simulated image, it, it, it's and it, I'm going to shoot him in the shoulder. It's not going to hurt them, mm-hmm. or I'm going to tackle him in the doorway, but it's not going to do reasonable harm. And then the second phase, which is a lower sub or a higher conscious le- level, which says I am a gunfighter. This guy just said fighting words to me or stole my girl. I naturally want to try to punch him or shoot them. Right. Um, and again, I think it's instructive that Teddy shot the man in black, but when the man in black put his head right on the gun, which might do damage with a simulated round, uh, he couldn't even pull the trigger. So I think that's... You just got to realize that they're they're operating on two levels of operation. Their character and the fact that they themselves are a robot that responds to commands like analyze and improvise and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. Did I miss anything there? No. Uh, So I don't think, like... I think if... Like, Teddy had a knife, which is an example he used later in email. Could he have stabbed the man in black? I don't think he could have. Hmm. He wouldn't. He might have threatened. He might threaten the man in black. Yeah. He might swing at the man in black with the knife. But there's no way that he would actually physically cut the man in black with the knife. Right. Um, Lucas V sent in this promotional poster um, that the, 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 the came with some marketing materials with Westworld. Um, it's this... 
like a movie style poster of Teddy and Dolores standing at the edge of a cliff with this beautiful vista, and it says "Life without limits." Be yourself. We won't tell. Plan your trip at discoverwestworld.com. Um, I'll post this in the show notes. But the interesting thing about it is in in, in the background there is a literal maze. And they're standing at what can only be described as a blood red arroyo, hmm. like a canyon carved out of by, by water. Okay, um, you know, I don't think that. Uh, what, what's interesting is they they were this was all promotional material released before the show that they were this explicit in some of the things that they were trying to do in the marketing material. Um, but I think that's that's pretty interesting. Um, it seems like that this this maze is going to be a literal place. And then your question is, to what end? Right. What's in the maze? Why would you make uh, a maze for either host or guest to find and explore that has some kind of metaphysical significance? Why the prophecy? Uh, like, like the fact that the little girl gave the prophecy kind of blew my mind last week. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> I don't know. We'll we'll have to see. Uh, Brad T said, hey, guys, you were talking about Westworld being $40,000 a day, but also happening in the future. One thing you guys forget to take into account is inflation. If you look at today's money, $40,000 in 2016 was only worth about $1,810 in 1916. There's no way inflation would be the same over the next 100 years or so, but using inflation, we could still try to reverse engineer what year it is based on $40,000 still being a lot of money. So I think what they're they're saying is that we think forty thousand dollars is a lot of money, but it might not be that much money fifty years in the future. Like instead of forty thousand dollars a day, it might be like five thousand dollars a day. Right. There's hotels that are five thousand. dollars If, if a I night. were going to get bottle service at a Vegas sure. club, and they said it was two hundred and fifty dollars for that bottle of vodka, I'd go, "Holy fuck, that's a lot of money!" But not right. in comparison to like, but it's not out of the range of what I could potentially afford for a, a crazy night out, right? Yeah, if you were like a you know a, a, a top of the line white class white collar worker, if you were uh, upper echelons of programmer salary, if you're a doctor, you're a lawyer, right? That's it's still a splurge. It's a but splurge, it's not but it's not going to unreasonable. De- yeah, it's something like a once on a year treat. I'm not saving up for a year to to get it but exactly. but i won't do it more than once a year exactly so, so yeah like i now i don't know that you can calculate with forty thousand dollars being a lot of money because that's a sliding scale and also inflation's not constant it averages a couple percentage points a year like two to three percent it's 2210 that's the year 2210 yeah <laughs> i did the i did the math sure i said 2024 <laughs> clearly wrong uh dave b um I have a theory that Ed Harris is the co-creator of the Westworld technology of Ford. This is one that I hadn't seen before. And that I think he it was, is Arnold? That he is Arnold. He may have sold his side of the IP to Westworld Company for lots of cash and a lifetime pass of Westworld. This would explain how he can afford to go to the park so much. It would also explain how he knows the robot so well. The game within the game could be clues he planted for himself when he designed the robots. I find it interesting that the two characters most interested in Westworld are Ford and the man in black, who appear to be the two oldest characters which would lend credence to the theory that they are trying to find a way to live forever with robots. So this was sent in before this weekend's email, but I thought it might. Mm-hmm. It, I, I wanted to explore it in the context of what we know now about Arnold. Okay, so Stubbs. Yeah. Who's from QA. Uh-huh. He's seen the man in black, knows that he's in the park. And and he ostensibly knows a lot about the park, right? He knew right. that that was the second the second bot ever created that Anthony Hopkins was talking to uh, downstairs. 
I feel like he would know who that guy is. Um, but 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 Anthony, but Doctor Ford himself says that nobody now knows that there was two co-creators, there were two founders, right? So like that, if you if you take him at his word, that that would mean that it's not entirely outside the realm of possibility. In fact, it's probable. But that it reveals he would, that secret awfully quickly if that's the case. But if, also, if it's something he's trying to protect, Bernard's his protege, and maybe he's grooming him to take over. I mean, there's like you know, like I don't think he would tell Elsie this. He'd tell Elsie, "Get back to fucking work." Here, let me carve up a robot's face to let you know. I mean, business, <laughs> right? Uh, I guess. Hmm. I don't know. I guess I didn't view that as like a closely guarded secret that people have, or that 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 memory had been completely wiped from from the record. Why but, do you say? But that? more that it was like nobody really cares. Like, hmm. yeah, we just don't talk about it. Like, or in fact that we specifically our propaganda is that I am the creator, that I am the sole genius behind it. Right, but not that, that when you the couldn't fa- figure it out if you like went through the records, yeah, I or suppose. that the people inside the company wouldn't know. It'd be like you know Walt Disney had a brother, Roy. Uh huh. I don't was know by that animatronic su- Mickey Mouse. Yeah, but that's, yeah, it's like I don't know that super common knowledge. And if that had, if he had been killed by uh, a mouse or whatever, mm-hmm. and they and Disney decided to bury that, like I guess they could. Something happened fifty, sixty years ago, and most people just don't yeah, care. Don't like you know, how many I, people have seen Song of the, uh, the South? That's something Walt Disney has effectively tried to bury and pretend it didn't happen. I suppose it's possible. My girlfriend didn't know that movie existed until I showed it to her. Right. So, But it's still out there, and a lot of people still know about it. That's kind of what I'm getting at. Yeah. Like, it's a thing that the company doesn't talk about and would rather people not talk about or think about. We also, but it's still out there. People know it. The other thing about this timeline is I feel like people are thinking it's 30 years and have run, like, that's the beginning of the park. But Jonathan Nolan also put out a lot of information that Westworld is far older than the 30 years. That okay. like or well at least there's an idea that it could be, but it can't six... be. I mean, if you, so, if you well, take at face value Anthony Hopkins' age in both the flashback and the the current Westworld stuff we see, mm-hmm. they look to be about thirty years apart. However, I mean, however, you also have to put in context what he said in the first episode that they conquered everything but death. So, like, just, you know, if you conquered all disease and genetic deficiencies, like, maybe you could live a – everyone's living a maximum human lifespan. Instead of dying at 70 or 80, you're dying at 120, 130. That there gives you enough wiggle room to say that it's it, – I don't know that you could say that that was Anthony Hopkins 30 years ago. Okay. Because I, I, I he that's, doesn't, that's he those, doesn't look those, 130 to me. But. No, but that's part of the sci-fi. Like it's just loosey goosey. There's right. just enough we don't know about. We don't know anything about this universe other than Westworld exists and people still make money and forty thousand dollars is a lot, but something yeah. a white collar person could earn to, enough to go. Mm-hmm. So that, that's that's like I'm becoming aware. But I that, mean, so I guess that's why I always preface everything I'm saying with if you take this at face value because right. I, we don't have any information that says, "Hey, they can live to 130." No. And, and, I mean, and, that's pure speculation. If you, so if if I'm taking Occam's it at face razor, value until I get to the information. If you had Occam's razor, it's not Mars. It's probably the American Southwest, right? If you use Occam's razor, Anthony Hopkins not 130. He's probably in his early 80s. Like, yes, right. you're right. Until proven otherwise, it's probably safer to assume 
reasonable current day limitations until they until there's some evidence. I mean, obviously, you can't say, "Well, what about their androids?" Well, that's something they're showing us, and they're showing the technology, right? And they're showing how they advance. And it's it's a fictional universe, and once they establish those rules, I will believe them. Yeah, I will go with them, but I want to see those rules first. Right, right. Uh, So I don't know. It seems to me like they're trying to connect dots between the event that happened, the critical failure, and. And Arnold. This is a conversation we had before we turned the cameras and the the sound recordings on. Um, mm-hmm. Let's talk about the nature of Anthony Hopkins' early work with Westworld because okay. you and I, I guess, got very different ideas about it. I'm starting to think that like Old Bill, the Wild West drinker, bartender, whatever, to zip himself in a body bag. When he says early history of Westworld, he's talking about that three-year period where they were just perfecting the hosts and there were no guests and no board members. It was just him and his technicians and his partner, and they were, being, they were, they were just pure act of creation. Mm-hmm. Because I say that because by the end of the episode or by the end of that, that, that um, montage, we see the blonde woman – um, who we na- we later find is wearing the, fa- the the snake face tattoo yeah. and shooting up people. She was a contemporary of that period of time. So I feel like they came all the way from old Bill with the whirring and clicking and shake you. And you could tell them just by shaking her hand to fairly modern Westworld hardware in the end of those three-year period. But But don't we also know that Dolores was made before him? Like she was the original, or is that possibly? Not? But she's also been upgraded. It's likely, but right, but she's been upgraded, so it doesn't necessarily say that they had to act the same as they do now. Oh, and I, I do definitely think they're more realistic now than they were thirty years ago. But I do think that there was like a minimum threshold of their realism that was achieved fairly early before the park even opened. They said in one year they passed the Turing test, sure. which. And they, Old Bill doesn't pass the fucking Turing test for me with just the way he moves. I mean, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. So is he from before that era? I think like, so. Is he I think from he's within like, the first three months of their project, right? And that means so Dolores, when they say she's been upgraded, they're like talking ship of Theseus or whatever because they showed the old technology and it wasn't this milky white bullshit. It was right. like analog stuff getting bolted together, right? Skin being pulled over the artificial skin being pulled over a frame. Right. And like, now they're, they're, they're building these robots synthetically strand at a time. And like, you know, this, right. this, they're truly being crafted. So Dolores, like in what sense is Dolores the, the oldest robot in the park? And also they did say sure. the oldest, oldest still active. And also, it seems like a lot of people have a lot of bad, a bad mm-hmm. information about how the park started. It could be you could find uh, find out that maybe she's not the original. That that could be a twist later on. Who sure. knows? It, it's it's it's. But but yeah, I think that in my 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 conception of this timeline is that three years they went from old Bill type robots to Dolores class robots. Jesus, that's fast. Although that's insane. Dolores fast. herself was in the first class. And she's just been upgraded to components to bring her in line with the current stuff. Right. Which, what does that even mean? Like, what part... Uh, she's no longer any of part... Is it her consciousness, her programming is the only thing that's original? Seems like it, yeah. Anyway. Uh, Ivan from New York says, You guys touched upon transfer of consciousness and the continuity of consciousness as a major hurdle in achieving the potentially life-extending goal. I used to be a firm believer in the possibility of this process, thinking that any transfer of consciousness would basically kill the original person and create a brand new clone. I believed this until I went to a talk on a subject during the World Science Festival in New York one year. One of the panelists was speaking about the subject, and she said... 
Forget about full transfer for a second. What if you could add a small chip that would enhance your memory? You'd still be you, right? What if you could then add a chip to enhance your visual processing? You'd still be you. Now, what if you could keep adding small chips like that one at a time? Mm-hmm. Eventually, you would have to completely replace your biological brain with an artificial one, and you'd never stop being you during that process, at which point you could keep your consciousness there or you could keep transferring it to compatible new brains. With me so far? Yeah, that's no, the same as the car analogy. Like, or same when... as the Dolores analogy. Right. Um this not only opens up the possibility of such transfer to act, achieve dramatically longer life, but also opens up questions within Westworld. What if you need to transition slowly like that? Is the next level the man in black? Is this the next level the man in black is looking for? Maybe the next level is the level in which you slowly become a machine, and in a sense, you never leave. Could any of the hosts be failed transfers? It's too early to ask questions like these with any serious footing, but I guess we can always okay. speculate. Thank you for adding that last part, because, yeah, there, there's not even a hint that people are becoming hosts. There's no hint of that. I mean, we've seen them actually fabricating hosts. Like, right. That's, they wouldn't need to do that if it were just incremental upgrades done I to human beings. I think it's not that, right to say there's no hint, because there is that scary t- uh, language in the terms of service for the park that says they own all your skin cells and your sperm cells and your shit and your piss right. and your vinegar. Um, why put that in there if they're not doing something weird with the guest DNA? Right. But I, I don't think the guest, I don't think this is hotel California. <laughs> I don't think that's literally what's happening. Here. It's funny because I actually cut for time. A couple emails that speculated that indeed, like that if you die in the park, you don't really die. You just become a host. Okay. Um, again, that's just an idea. That's not a th- right. That's not There's even no a theory. support. That's a that. hey, it would be cool if you get a buffalo stampeded and now you wake up and right, and then you're a host. And honestly, that feels like a much more natural trajectory toward some kind of uh, you know human in a robot body scenario. Well, so there's the other things because I didn't read this because I thought it was part of the uninteresting boilerplate, but a couple people took me to task and said, why didn't you read this part? There's also a part in the liability indemnification that says that you, any crime that a human would perpetrate upon another human would have to be investigated by the Delo staff who would then engage the proper authorities as, as necessary. Okay. Which kind of means that they could, easily cover up but how do you tell the difference what do you mean like if i'm gonna if i'm gonna drop somebody off a cliff yeah how do i tell the difference between a host and a human a host and a guest i do think that if a host threw a guest off a cliff they would know it there would be the host's own record there'd be telemetry involved if a guest was throwing a guest off a cliff like if i grab if i grab somebody i decide i walk into the park and i'm like I'm going to throw somebody off a cliff today. Okay. That sounds like a fun thing to do. And I grab someone off the street and I go for it. He is drag- yeah, How do I know qu- that that's, like that's a, safe a guest? Word and like whether people are being instanced or not. I mean, you're right because the person could say, I'm a guest, I'm a guest. Right. And, ah, you're a host. <laughs> yeah, you're a host. And you could plausibly deny it. I had no fucking idea. I hope idea. they address that, how humans can tell. Because, well, I mean. Because you, you, can't, you can't put stipulations on someone when they literally can't tell the difference. Well, and also if this like this simunition is is lethal at close range, it seems like a guest could just put their you know barrel in their head, you know, against someone's eyeball and blow their eye out. Right, and who's to say? I mean, I, I knew guess that that was a the guess. host reflex. Like you, but but again, you could easily have like a husband and a wife out in a desert, and one of them just decides to throw another off a cliff. Right. 
And I guess that's something that you would agree to is like, that's a possibility. Don't stand too close to the cliff by someone you can't fully trust. In the terms of service, well, in that case, they they would obviously know that that person. But, but, was a but guest, yeah, I, I get your point. Husband, I hope but... they do address because they they kind of did when um, Logan says, "Well, there's only one way to find out," and aims his gun at somebody. Like that could have been a that could have been a guess. And then they'd just be like, "Hey, asshole, you just shot me," and it wouldn't kill them. But what if he had decided to do the knife stab thing to a guest to see? Yeah, I guess the host like, would would stop him. But how would they know? How yeah, would they no. know before it's too late? Uh, this is treading dangerously close to this a sci-fi fiction concept, and you just need to accept right. that they thought of that. I, I yeah, I hope they address I hope they, it. I hope they show like just like there's there some is... people that hope they give a 15 minute PowerPoint presentation on simunitions. Mm-hmm. I'm not saying we'll get it, but yeah, I kind of hope so. Even if it were like we gather all the people into a single room. And we show them to each other yeah. and say, don't kill any of these people. Yeah, these, see don't face, harm any don't of these kill people. This face. This is a and real And now face. it's on you. Now you have responsibility and liability right. for it. Yeah, so. you'll be open to criminal, right. criminal proceedings. Uh, guy from Montana says, I know I love a show when I'm constantly checking to see how much time is left in the episode. I do the same with Game of Thrones. Stop doing that, man. Oh, yeah, I never do. I, I try to avoid... Um, the because re- I find that influences my perception of the episode. If I know I'm like, if I'm really absorbed in an episode, and I see it, it like kind of shocks me that when the black screen comes up, I, that's when I gauge a really great episode. Yeah, for me, it's it's exactly opposite of what he's saying. To if me, I'm checking the clock, I'm bored. Yeah, or but but I think also it's like I can see people doing that because it's kind of like um, being anxious about how much you've got left to enjoy. Right. But I also feel like that's a constant reminder of the artificiality of what you're watching. Sure. But to each their own guy, if that is your real name. Very generic host-like name. Mm-hmm. Um, one element I'm having a hard time with is the idea of having a place uh, to have placed breached units in cold storage. Why is this necessary? If these units are like any other computing device. They consist of hardware and software. The show refers to past configurations and wiping of the unit's mem- memory. So this necessarily indicates some form of hard drive storage. If this is the case, why would the whole unit need to be discarded or decommissioned in the event of a malfunction? I feel like this is throwing the baby out the bathwater. Could not a unit's hard drive be completely scrubbed or in some extreme cases be replaced with a brand new unit? The operating system is loaded and the kernel tweak for the specific unit and back in service you go. No need to shelve the hardware because of a software problem. Unless this technology has somehow merged the software with the hardware and they are too inextricably linked. If that's the only real explanation, uh, that's the only real explanation, but the show has yet to say this is the case. Um, I, I feel like you answered your own question, man, that they don't have, that there is some kind of emergent prop properties to the consciousness of these robots that they themselves are afraid of. And any robot that breaches their reality, which is something they're programmed not to do, can no longer be trusted. Hmm. Because if they did it once, yeah. even if you wipe it and it's and they somehow have access to their previous configurations, wirelessly or otherwise, I, I just feel like it's a, just an absolute safeguard. It's cheaper to 3D print another host than it is to right. risk I, them running amok. After I said swap a chip earlier, I immediately realized, you know, I have no idea how these things are constructed in any manner. I mean, so it is possible that their hardware and software are physically linked in I, the way that our brains are both hardware and software. And that's I, I want to understand how much of these people are meat. Like, right. do they have a process that turns this polymer into flesh and blood? Uh, or is, is this like a Terminator uh-huh. endoskeleton type of thing? Uh, that's a good question. Because that may, she had like, that looked like about an inch of meat on her. Like when they're cutting into her. 
Like, like, like a real abdominal oh, wall. Yeah, yeah. And yet I've seen their musculature in that milky white shit. So that implies right. there needs to be a thin layer of skin over them, maybe. Well, I mean, what if I want to rip the guts out of one of these things? Can I do it? I know. You should be able to, right? I, if, if you want to provide a realistic experience, sure. Like, do you, if you dig past the first half inch, do you get the milky white goodness? The, <laughs> right. The, the nougat inside? Like, I, I don't know. Yeah. I feel like they need to answer that question, too. Mm-hmm. I mean, they're playing with with the milk. And also, for the record, yes, yes, I do realize that this is an homage to the aliens and, 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 and or the mm-hmm. androids and alien. Right gotten about 15 of those emails too yeah, yes I saw this. yes if, if you've seen the and the aliens and the androids and the alien franchise they're all constructed out of this milky white goo stuff as well mm-hmm. but they also have like weird internal organs and shit which and I, I guess these guys do too these are not i guess the big questions that i'm looking for answers for no. necessarily it would be nice if they answered them right but honestly honestly do you really care do you really care how your sci-fi universe exactly operates? I don't know. Come they on. show. They, they, Do I need to know the how the lithium crystals are broken down for energy in the Enterprise? As engines? a man who owned the technical manual as a teenager <laughs> and has the answer memorized by rote, yes, yes, I do. Uh, secondly, when the first episode shows them mounting a white horse heart in a horse chassis, mm-hmm. yes, I want to know how that eventually pumps red blood and what does that blood do and et cetera, et cetera. Okay. Uh, second question, which I'm not sure matters in the grand scheme, but it keeps nagging me. Why have we not seen Dolores' mother? I've gotten a lot of people emailing me about Dolores' mother, so I want to talk about this as a theme, too. The omission of actually seeing her face in the first episode feels almost purposeful. Mm-hmm. The first we know of her is the reveal that she's been shot by the necrophiliac milk bandits. We see her on her back, but we never see her face. Why? Would it not serve a standard narrative purpose to show her, thus making Dolores' family life feel that much more real? In subsequent scenes of Dolores at home, we see her wake up, then cut to her outside walking by her father. Why not have her come out from her room to her mother cooking breakfast or something? Uh, from there, we can hear Dolores call out to, for her a couple times. Once for sure when Abernathy is having his existential crisis. The mother never appears, though. Why is that? From a tropey storytelling standpoint, having Dolores' mother on the scene freaking out alongside her would be a natural world-building and storytelling element. But she never appears. I have a suspicion the reveal of whose Dolores' mother will be will have a significant impact on some mystery of the overarching story. Perhaps she will be someone we already know of in real life, confirming the idea that these hosts are in fact clones to a degree, or maybe someone connected to Men in Black. Man in Black. Um, as a counterpoint guy... I've watched the same amount of episodes as you, and I've never once had this question. I, see, I hear them referring to a mother. I see a dead mother. The mother seems to serve the narrative point of dying. Mm-hmm. To me, that's nice and tidy, and I'm not seeing anything sinister or significant in the fact that she's not there. So I don't think, like, I, I feel like you can't draw a universal kind of story mythos from the fact that there's been an inconsistency, have you noticed, you know? Do you see what I'm saying? I mean, are you curious about her mother? I, I suppose I'm curious about it, but I guess I'm with you. I don't, I don't know that they're that them not showing her has a purpose beyond just tightening up those scenes, focusing like, the attention on her and her, her relationship with her father and the strangeness right. of her father being replaced. Right, like, that's significant, and they're addressing that. The mother just seems like a background detail. Yeah, um, I don't know. It'd be like worrying about what brand of condensed milk she's dropping, you know? I guess that's how I see it, but I could be wrong. 
But I, I just don't. And again, if it is significant, leaping that to the fact that, oh, it's going to be someone we know of real life or it's the, the connection to the man in black or maybe it's going to be Teresa from accounting like that. Yep. That's like, how do you get there from here? I don't know. Anthony Hopkins in a wig. It's Anthony Hopkins in a wig. That's the best theory I've heard all week. <laughs> Damon says the man in black is Arnold. About 30 years ago, he had a falling out with Delos and his partner Ford, and he was let go, but given all access to the park, likened to a founder. Wait, be- he wasn't let go. He was killed. Right. He's well, dead. he's this is this he's he's going with the this is all a lie bullshit kind of thing. Okay, um, sure. Likened to a founder who becomes CEO and is voted out, given stocks in the company. Uh, in part to offset the enormous expenditures in starting the whole thing up. Hence, he was not involved in a further evolution of Westworld, so he doesn't know any of its deeper games after his departure. To the host, it's as if he died. So he's going with a mm. a, a Ben Kenobi sense of the word. Okay. Um, now, the other thing is, and I don't know if this... I might have copied and pasted this in, in air, but... Um, I got this image now, so I'm going to talk about it. Uh, I mentioned up front that the ARG, if you go to visitwestworld.com, there's a little box where you can ask questions, and you're talking to an AI, and you can ask them, you know, questions like, you know, what is Westworld, or who are the people I'm going to visit? But if you ask them questions like, who are you, and you're insistent about it, or if you repeat, to, if you type in these violent... Delights have Delights violent have violent ends. ends. He freaks the fuck out, and he... Uh, it shows. It says system error four hundred four not found. It gives a bunch of error uh, debugging code and it's a bunch of gibberish. Um, there's look what looks like a URL string that has a whole bunch of like uh, a sequence of thirty six characters and it says equals fly fly. Uh, but then it says you are in a prison of your own sins at the end of the statement. Hell is empty. The devils are here. Arnold will come. What the fuck? Hmm. If Arnold, so so, I guess if Arnold is dead, who is programming these bots with the knowledge of him, or are these bots right. accessing the code that he wrote thirty years ago with his bicameral mind business? Right. I mean, Arnold could be their god. Ooh. I mean, Arnold could be this bicameral authority voice that they're hearing. Okay. Because uh, because that's one of the things of the bicameral, you know, mind theory is that. When consciousness emerged, a lot of people attributed it to God. That's where we came up with the idea of God. Yeah. Because we heard voices we couldn't explain. That's nice and tidy from a secular point of view, sure. Right. So, like, if you extend that to Arnold being the guy who was trying to originally program them with consciousness, he could be perceived as their God, certainly. And, I mean, I think that's going to come into play here, like, with what we've been talking about um, with Ford trying to construct a scenario in which maybe the religion is reintroduced into this world, right? Right. Like, maybe that's part of his, him actively trying to push this along. Right. Uh, that now they have, they have both this voice and they can attribute it to some concept called God, some concept of Arnold. Uh-huh. <laughs> which is a rather pedestrian name for a God, but sure. we'll go with it. I don't know, is it any weirder than Ra or Yahweh or... Arnold. Uh, Arnold. I suppose Say it, it is only times. because it's in a contemporary Arnold. language. I put a, put a diacritic mark over to A and put a dash between Arnold. <laughs> Arnold. Arnold. Arnold of old. Arnold yeah. of hosts, of armies. Um, yeah, that's it's kind of... See, I've already talked myself in. Arnold sounds like a weird <laughs> alien name now. Uh, 
Any other thoughts? That's pretty tasty, yeah. though. And t- dovetails into Ford introducing religion right. and, and as a way to worship the, the pri- previous co-founder. That's right. interesting. Robin from Oxford says, there's a nugget in one of the pat questions that you can ask Aiden. That's the name of the AI that I've been talking about in the visitwestworld.com. Um, you can ask it, who will I meet? And you get the answer. Westworld has an endless cast of characters all just waiting to meet you. There's a 10 to 1 host to guest ratio to ensure your every desire is fulfilled. She continues, now other than revealing, or maybe it's a man, Robin, that uh, could be neutral. Uh, now other than revealing the ratios are expressed with hyphens instead of colons in the future, which is crazy. This suggests to me, because it says 10-1, not 10 colon 1. Mm-hmm. This suggests to me that multiple guests and or groups of guests would be sharing park space at any one time and that things are not instanced. We've seen crowds of dozens and dozens of hosts in Sweetwater. If the ratio is just 10 to 1, there would have to be many more guests to balance this math. Yeah. Yeah, I'm I'm putting the kibosh on the VR instance stuff. Me too. I don't think it's possible. Me too. Next email, Natalie S. When listening to your last podcast, I was really intrigued by your theory or the theory introduced by you and your PlayStation Party friend about how Dr. Ford plans on introducing religion to the robots and Westworld. This theory made me think that Jim and your discussion of the True Detective podcast season two on the Western Book of the Dead, the actual book written in the 70s, not the episode itself, uh, do you remember that? Because I did Vaguely. I remember that we had it. I don't remember what it was about. <laughs> right. And that podcast, Jim outlines the details of the book and as they play out as such. And I'm about to totally plagiarize Jim. Or Please. Plagiarize the book. Refresh um, my memory. Because the book is a pamphlet. It was like a 17-page thing you can get the PDF of. Right. The book I read itself the whole is thing. very rare. Yes, yeah. I did too. And I remember not a damn bit of it. <laughs> yep. The book outlines the timelines of life from the beginning of the universe to the formation of organic mass and the consciousness, to the development of society and love, to the tale that these people tell of God, purpose and love, which creates God and religion. Then there's the development of science and reason, which leads to the loss of God and the belief that there is no point, that all humans are meaningless mass, that there is no meaning or reason to existence, and that we can do whatever we want, which leads to society collapsing and the downfall of civilization due to a lack of morals and purpose. Jim also explains that in the book, God is love, happiness, and he leads people to being happy with their existence. That by creating God, you create a larger purpose for people, and people need to search for these existential questions. I think these ideas are applicable to the ideas being put forth in Westworld and may prove and explain the theory of Dr. Ford wanting to bring religion to this world in more ways than one. I think Dr. Ford wants to bring these robots into actual existence and give them a real quote-unquote life. It's strongly implied that Ford is responsible for the robots' newfound awareness or access to their past memories. Dr. Ford not only wants these robots to become sentient, he wants to go one step forward. He wants them to be as real as possible. What better way to make these robots real than to give them one of the most universal experiences that people go through, that of existential questions regarding God and existence and where one goes after they die. Furthermore, even though we don't know much about the world outside of Westworld, Dr. Ford has explained that the park or the world is done evolving as all illnesses have been cured and technologies is at its peak. Thus, introducing religion into Westworld will begin the next phase of evolution as outlined in the Western Book of the Dead. The world outside the park also seems to be the last phase outlined in the book. Obviously, reason and science are prevailing powers in the world. Religion does not seem to be that big of a deal in the world anymore. In the way that people act, uh, if the way that people act in a park is an indication, moral righteousness is not a dominant trait in people. I don't know. I mean, some of the uh, it, it's turned out that some of the most righteous seeming people in re- the real world are also the biggest hypocrites. Like the ones campaigning against for, for family values are the ones that are, you know, having sex with their 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 male 
staffers in the bathrooms. Like, sure, sure. Uh, but like to, so I, I think the Western Book of the Dead is a fairly short-sighted nihilistic take on the whole human experience. Okay, um, I think. So I don't believe that just because um, – I guess I don't buy that ev- that everything is meaningless if right. you don't have a god. Right. Um, if, if there isn't some higher power than humanity and even if ultimately it is in fact meaningless to, right. to the universe, I, there's still enjoyment to be had in the moment. There, there are many other things. Um, but I think it's interesting from this bicameral standpoint where you say, okay, people started thinking – that there was a God because they were hearing these voices and they attributed it to this concept of God. Yeah. Ford might be trying to introduce that to them. And, and the bicameral mind is an, is essentially the evolution of that is a way for people to understand themselves. Right. Right. Um, and a way for consciousness to evolve. And so, and I I don't mean like physically evolve. I mean, evolve in its form, Mm -hmm. uh, just change and, Mm -hmm. and progress. Um, but, this is so and i also don't necessarily think that attributing these voices to a god is a particularly good way to go about um developing consciousness because you know it causes a lot of problems in my mind but but i think it might be necessary to to form in these kind of primordial consciousnesses to form some concept of what these voices are so that you can have this inner monologue and therefore continue to evolve your consciousness. Right. You have to, like, when you have emergence consciousness, you have to label that phenomenon within your own consciousness something. In, in order to start to understand Like it. when the first right. man saw the sun, it's a god. Why wouldn't it yeah. be? It's up in the heavens. It sustains life. Blah, blah, blah. And if right out, now it's just hallucinations and all they're doing is they're just hearing voices. Yeah, you have to context voices. that somehow. Right. You would want to give them some context so that they can start to evolve right. um, into whatever they're going to evolve into. And it's... I don't know. I think it's a way that he's trying to jumpstart it. I, I agree. Um, we got off a little bit of the weeds here from uh, the Natalie's point. Uh, she asserts that, she, in, in her opinion, William's the only decent human we've met, which I kind of want to quibble because, you know, when I play Call of Duty and I'm murdering a bunch of people, I'm right. not really murdering a bunch of people. So if, I mean, yes, I'm disturbed by what they're getting up to, and I don't, yeah. I wouldn't play a rape simulator video game, even if one such a thing exists. Does such a thing exist? But you do play murder simulators. I do so, play murder I mean, simulators, yeah. That's an arbitrary moral ethical decision for me to make. Yeah, no, I I so I, I read an article earlier today about specifically about like the sexual uh the the mixing of sex and violence in Westworld. Mm-hmm. Um and and whether or not that's whether or not if the Westworld existed in the real world, that would be an okay thing, that well, that it would cause, like, the decline of morality and humanity. And we have those already. It's just not quite as vivid. Also, we should probably draw a distinction. I, I don't play murder simulators. I play simulations where I'm the good guy and I'm murdering, and or I'm the anti-hero and I'm murdering other equally bad people. Like, I don't – I know there's some things like Postal and – where you mm-hmm. literally are just playing a maniacal person. You're, I don't oh, right. play those, but also yeah. I wouldn't say that someone that did is a maniac. Right. Um, yeah, and I mean, that's why I don't think necessarily those things lead to. Like, I would play a sex simulator. I would not play a rape simulator. There's mm-hmm. a diff, like, you know, murder versus killing is, is a different thing. Yeah. Um, but anyway, if you want to assert that, that's fine. Uh, and maybe Dr. Ford sees that too, because her larger point that Dr. Ford sees how actual society is on the bl- brink of collapse. 
or in any case, sees how society has nowhere else to go. Returning to her point, ultimately, I think Dr. Ford wants to eventually upload his consciousness into a robot and live in Westworld. The catch is he does not want to live in a Westworld controlled by selfish humans with unaware robots who follow the same storylines every day. By bringing religion into Westworld, a revolution will occur, and the robots will not only be able to make their own choices, but they will be completely real. The Western Book of the Dead outlines how God is love, and love leads to happiness and existence. Dr. Ford wants that for himself and for his robots. He wants to reset humanity succeeding, and every writer's visionary person with a God complex's ultimate dream, creating a thriving, sustaining new world. That, I feel like, even if I don't agree with her a thesis leading up to this, I think that's kind of compelling that if he wants to upload his consciousness or he wants to transcend death, he doesn't want to do so in a world that sees artificial beings as pleasure things. Okay. Um, so like, I wouldn't the, want to either. <laughs> right. So like uh, you have to lead a robot civil rights movement before you upload your consciousness into a robot. Yeah. Right. Otherwise you're uploading your consciousness into a slave. Yeah, like well, how would people like see that? Thing. Like it's like, well, yeah. you know, I think you think people would be discomfited with the notion that like, oh, well, human intelligence is in this thing. Yeah. Like what the hell have we been doing with these human intelligences this whole time? We are we are I think ascribing a lot of motivation to Dr. Ford that we don't know the, of. I, I wish we had more of his backstory because that would inform his actions in the sure. present um a lot more. Yeah. Maybe we'd understand him better. So I hope that we get more young Anthony Hopkins, we get a little more CG, and it starts to become clear through his past why he's acting the way he is. Well, and if you subscribe to the that robot as being Anthony Hopkins as a young, as a very young boy, then maybe we've gotten more of his backstory than we appreciate. Maybe. And that we'll yeah. uh, realize that in the fullness of time. Mm. Uh, a guy named TG, which I, because I, I've gotten a couple emails from people making claims as being connected at some level or another with this, you know production which is kind of a unique phenomenon i've not normally been approached by people uh, affiliated with the show but this guy claims to supply some of the props to the show and he says that the gun provided uh, to westworld for ed harris is a lamat revolver which is interesting it's an eight shot revolver and it, i don't think it has a removable cylinder like i was speculating that might have been like a speed loader because um, you can there's devices that you, they make that allow you to very rapidly revolve or to reload a revolver. Like people that practice with them can get it down into seconds, yeah. which would explain the shot discrepancy. Mm-hmm. But the cool thing about the Lamat revolver is that it has a single shot shotgun right. underslung underneath the barrel. Yeah, we saw him use it yeah. a couple times. He blasts the bartender with it. Right, right, right. So you've got not you got eight shots plus that, and then you get mm-hmm. a speed loader. Um, it's a unique gun and a pretty cool gun. Yeah. So I uh, just want to pass that detail along, and uh, there you go. Lucas from Milwaukee said, big fan of AI-related shows and AI-related podcasts. I noticed during your first two episodes you mentioned being able to download your consciousness into the computer, but with the caveat that it's many, many years away. However, we're sis- actually systematically mapping the brain synapses by synapses. I attached a YouTube link of an entertaining interview with uh, Michio Kaku sure. from The Daily Show, Start at 4.15 for the mapping your brain to the CD-ROM conversation. Um, Kaku, if I'm not wrong, is a cosmologist? Hmm. Oh, I think you, I, I know who you're talking about. I don't think that's the same guy, though. Michio I know Kaku. who Michio Kaku is. I know I know his face. Oh, shit. I've seen yes. Him. Yes, it is. Yes, it is. Yeah. It's the same guy. Uh, so, 
Like, I don't want to say he doesn't know what he's talking no, about, but he's you're not right. in the field. You're right. That's like Neil deGrasse Tyson talking about... Material sciences. Right. He, he like, probably knows more than a guy you just pull out a sidewalk, but if he asserts something about high-carbon steel, yeah, take it with a grain you of salt. You might go ask someone who was working in the field <laughs> yeah, before yeah. you build something out of it. Yeah. Um, but yeah, no, I mean, I feel like... Okay, so I'll continue this email before we, we get in a bad habit of <laughs> discussing half-formed thoughts here. Uh, I thought that you would be interested to know that just recently a big tech companies have assembled a consortium to debate what ethics of AI should be. This Hmm. includes companies like IBM, Microsoft, Amazon, Google, and Facebook. Yeah, all of them paragons of ethics and virtue. But all of the leaders... You want to bring them to the table. The UN is not just the Western world. It's also North Korea. They're the leaders in AI right now, so I mean... Uh, all these companies use AI in some form, and they want to get a general consensus on to some interesting questions. For example, in a self-driving car, it's on a bridge. There are five people in its way, and there are only right. two physical options due to the speed of the car. Hit the five people or drive off the bridge. Either choice will endanger one of the two groups, so what should it decide? Interesting question. I think the more interesting question is there are five people in the car and five people I think that's the implication. The there's like you got two, like five people in the car. Five. I think that's the implication. Okay. Or there's at least one person. Mm-hmm. Does it maximize the value of human life? Does it side with the owner of the we vehicle? Just, we just need to put turbo boosters on every car, and it can jump over them like Kit. Sure. <laughs> they need to have the ability to stop time yeah. and wait for the authorities to come. <laughs> um, interesting questions that AI will be need to be answered quickly if humans would still like the control of the answers. I agree, and I'm glad. I, and that's something that we were asking about. Um, although I, I do feel like feel like Westworld and stuff like that are important because it shouldn't be just these companies debating this. Like I feel like this should be a robust debate. Like we didn't let reproductive rights be decided by a consortium of pharmaceutical mm-hmm. companies we didn't let civil rights be debated by a consortium of i don't know what you did the, the equivalent of that but you know there everyone needs to have a say in this stuff right sure yeah uh, to the extent that people are religious like religious people should have a say in in some of these ethical questions as well it's like so um i'm glad that companies themselves are asking them but i think it's appropriate for like governmental and uh, civilian agencies and and uh, we the people to weigh in as well Right. I I especially don't want uh, just for-profit businesses in on this because they may come to conclusions that someone who's not worried – as worried about the bottom line of these companies may not come to. Right. Uh, Kate D. from New York City. I mean uh, says on – I started this because that's an interesting idea, this whole concept about what do you do with this bridge situation. (laughs) And I'm starting to, like, problem solve it. I feel like we need a a podcast just for that. Yeah. Just call it the bridge. Yeah. But those things, like, what – and I'm like, you know know what? Whatever you've come up with and distracted two and a half minutes is not going to be – So you look up. You face recognize every single person (laughs) in the scenario. You see who's the worst, and you just have a plow into them or drive them off the bridge. Are there how many felons, convicted felons? Right. And, like, were those felons featured? on season one of Serial or Making a Murderer. And are, they, are they violent criminals? Are they... I was going more like, why would a car, a self-driving car, drive faster than it can see probabilities of things happening? Like, if it couldn't... Oh, if it's it on a prepare. Bl- like, like, on a blind, like, on a blind curve, it should slow down so it's reasonably certain that it could hit the brakes and stop within the distance of anything that would be revealed. Like, people don't do that, but fucking mm-hmm. self-driving cars should. Well, but then... I mean, you couldn't have them drive down the streets of, like, New York City, for instance. Why? 
at more than 10 miles per hour because someone could randomly a homeless man could jump in front uh somebody could be jaywalking unexpectedly maybe it's not a bad idea because like you know 10 mile an hour car streets is uh, new york city during like rush hour times probably seem like a good deal <laughs> maybe the traffic but, is proceeding at a stately pace but it is proceeding Mm, I don't know about that. In, in, in any way, like, again, w- the most obvious answer I can come up with is not interesting to anybody. So let's move on. Uh, I say it should hit them and then drive off the bridge. <laughs> just, just pull no the No half cord. measures. No. This is, yeah, just go for, the, go for maximum devastation if there's no choice. Uh, Kate D. from New York City said, On last week's episode, you had brought up the episode title Chestnut as it pertained to the color of ho- horses, but I have one better for you. A chestnut is also a term for the callosity on the leg of horses that is a vestigial toe, an evolutionary remnant from when equines had three toes. So, like that, I guess that huh. you know, they're little, kind of like you know, some dogs have that dew claw that doesn't do anything. Like the what the analogous feature on a horse is called a chestnut. I think this mm. episode title may describe the way in which the hosts are evolving past understandings of man, as well as a way for the hosts are retaining parts of their past within themselves. Yet another example of how Dr. Ford is playing the role of creator may be further to be discussed if religion is introduced, um, which could create an interesting dichotomy of religion versus evolution. Oh, that's kind of cool, too. I like that. that uh, I didn't know that about horses. Um, that's pretty cool. It's a vestigial feature. It's tying in evolutionary mistakes and whatnot. Mm-hmm. Uh, anything else to Nope. Moving on. AJV. In the first episode, during the second time Dolores wakes up, there's a group of Japanese tourists. This is the email I was trying to find. A husband and wife in purple and a group of three guys, one of whom said the last time he was with here, Teddy showed them around. All of these guests were on the same scene, which makes me think the guests are not partitioned into separate experiences, which I think you call instancing. Yes. That's definitive proof. So no more VR instancing. Right. Unless it's... Shown to be otherwise, in which case we'll say it's a bunch of inconsistent bullshit and we just need to accept it. Okay. All right. Mallory W., one thing I was immediately intrigued by one of your last shows was the description of the, the Delos corporate map of the Mesa Hub. I took a look at one of the illustrations, and after watching episode two, I started to think about this layout once more. Or more, uh, shoot. I started to think about this layout more once the man in black was describing his search for the maze and his desire to find a deeper level of Westworld. For one, could he be trying to enter the old cold storage level of the facility where the faulty livestock are stored since that is literally the deepest level? Hmm. Additionally, the map, that would be kind of interesting. You lead a robot revolt of a bunch of unstable, breached robots. Uh, additionally, the map of Mesa Hub bears a striking resemblance to the depictions of the circles of hell from Dante's Inferno. It seems like there could be a sort of connection there, especially because Westworld itself appears as if it was partially created to be an outlet for human beings' most immoral and sinful desires. I'm not sure if there's anything there or not, but take a look for yourself. The hierarchy and stratification in the Mesa facilities does really bear a lot in common with the circles of hell. I mean, right. you got a black steeple and a cross. You got to talk people talking about hells being empty because the devils are here. Like it's totally grist for a mill to mm-hmm. talk about this in terms of a seven seven circles of hell. Yeah, yeah. And uh, I would say that it's probably intentional design choices at this mm-hmm. point. Uh, Joe from Philly. I'm frustrated with myself when I watch the show and all the prestige dramas because I'm always waiting for the twist. Is Bernard a host? Is Westworld on Mars? Is Arnold still alive? Is the man in black Arnold? Is the man in black a host? Ah, 
I've decided to watch and enjoy and not get tin t- too tinfoily and enjoy the drama and the mysteries and the questions and answers to be had, and that is great. To me, this is different than a twist. A twist being defined by me as thinking things are one way and the creators say, nope, it's really this way, i.e. the theory that Bernard is not human like you thought all this time, but a host. What they did in episode one was fun because they played with their expectations with Teddy and the man in black and who was the host in that scenario, but did so in the course of a single episode. That's fine, and in fact, I like it. I don't want a game like Mr. Robot Season 2 played because it doesn't add anything to the actual story and just gets some way, in some ways takes focus from the narrative just to say that you got to say gotcha to the audience. What do you guys think? Would you enjoy some wow type of twist or in the Reddit culture? Can that never truly exist because someone has already guessed it? Um, I have to say that I'm leaning more towards Joe from Philly, but I also run a podcast where at least half the audience derives enjoyment from figuring out the mysteries and claiming internet points of who's right and who's wrong. So I'm kind of caught. Yeah. Um, this is why, I mean, we had this question in our Q and a, like what show would you, would you like to have not covered? Right. And my answer was all of them, so I can enjoy the shows again. Yes. Uh, I mean, I still enjoy the shows, but like... Not on the level we used to. Right. It's not... It's not just purely me watching it anymore. It's now everyone who listens to my podcast. And, 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 that's and going it's not my, my point of view and my theories that I like. I have to share them all, and they all have to occupy equal space in my head. Right. Uh, and also, the theories that we're bringing are laden with the commentary of everyone on, like he said, Reddit. So, like, yeah, they're they're not as big a surprise anymore because someone probably has figured them out. Um, and also... I don't feel like I can strongly defend or debunk a theory because it's not it's not my theory. And I'm not having a conversation about it. The conversation has already been had. What I'm doing is right. reiterating the thoughts of 100,000 people that on I Reddit. That I don't even necessarily agree with. Right. But I have to do that to be fair and balanced and, you know, not to dis- be overly dis- – I mean, I can – I definitely right. – there's editorial voice here. Like, I'm choosing not to read, you know f- – very slight variations on the you know mm-hmm. uh, man in black is the founder the man in black is William or like there's a lot of people have a unique twist on that but like goddamn literally I'd have what 20 30 emails that I'd read just on minor variations of the man in black theory this week I can't right I can't especially when I say I'm not that super interested and invested in that theory mm-hmm. so there is an editorial voice but I do try I, I don't suppress the idea that that theory is out there or the alternate timeline theory this is the tricameral mind it's <laughs> it's the life of a podcaster the next step in human consciousness right it's the it's the symbol for infinity cameral mind because it's however many people are right. on reddit and taping stuff in my inbox that's that's what I got to consider yep I'm not complaining I'm just saying the difficulty of like there are some shows where I think that you are encouraged to do this deep diving. There's shows that encourage it that don't reward it, and there's the rare show that both encourages it and rewards it. Right. And it's not my place to say which is the right way to enjoy the show, um, because ultimately I do the show for everybody. Like, mm-hmm. or, or that's the goal, right? I don't want any fan of Westworld to listen to this and be like, "Oh, these guys, you know, not representing me and my viewpoints." So sure. Uh, Colin has a quick thought after listening to our last podcast that he wants our opinion on. Uh, we have Dolores having flashbacks of the town shot up with the dead people all over the ground. We've seen Maeve's flashbacks of her and her daughter running from a Native American attack. I've heard your theories on what management's true goal is possibly perfecting hosts to become 
some sort of event, immortal bodies for human souls. What if some of the current hosts were previous guests that perished in Westworld? Ah, yes, this email did get, make it through. What if the flashbacks are the human memories before they died in the park? Is it possible that, for example, Maeve was a real human visitor at one point, died in Westworld, had a host created for her image, and had her soul uploaded into the shell, and these flashbacks are actually her human memories surfacing? It's possible. possible. Yeah. What does that mean, that they're covering up all these murders and not only covering up, but... I mean, I feel like that's just the opposite of covering it up. Because what happens if you're Maeve's daughter... You know, other daughter that she didn't bring to Westworld on this adventure, and you come back and like, oh my god, my mom's the head prostitute in the saloon. I'm suing you bastards. Like, that's right. the opposite of covering up a murder. And then they say, uh, uh, uh we own her cells. We right. own her you skin, agreed her hair, her, her chin. You agree? She agreed to allow us to investigate this murder, and we found out that it was, you know, uh, just uh, not a murder. Right. <laughs> and now we're using her skin in the park. Uh. Yeah, I, just, I mean, so, it could be ha- happening, but I got so a lot. It, but it muddies the waters narratively for right. me because the theme of this show is the emergence of consciousness, right? Yes. And what does that it mean to does, be human? That is watered down by the idea that an already conscious being would just be put into the park. That's not the emergence of consciousness. That's the transfer of consciousness, and I think it's fundamentally well, different. No, I do think that they are. That it's on the table that that question's being asked as well. With Anthony Hopkins being the maybe later, guy, I trying think to they avoid need to, death. Okay, but I think they need to get past the first part of this, which is the emergence of consciousness within this AI. Okay, that's just me. If I were writing the show, I would not want to muddy the waters too much. I think they can tackle both questions, but I do think that. It's muddying the water because it's the same type of question they're already asking, perhaps with Anthony Hopkins that they're just now doing with like, and what if everybody else is doing this too? Right. Like that's and I it's guess, the same the reason I don't like. And what if Anthony Hopkins is a host? I'm right. like, that's not what the show needs to be about. They're right. if they want to ask these bigger questions. Well, I don't want to put the show in a box, but that's but that's like a sci-fi narrative twist, not an interesting thematic uh, notion, right? Yeah, I mean, because I'm I'm on the one that I personally don't like the idea that Harrison Ford is a replicant in Blade Runner. Like, I disagree with Ridley fucking Scott. Like, I don't, Uh, I don't, I don't think that that's in the work, and I don't think it was intended. And but you know, uh, the show's creator says I'm wrong. So yeah, I mean, I definitely am sympathetic to what you're saying. Um, But I don't know that we can use that as a way to rule out. Oh right, whether something's true or not, because they could just be doing something that we don't like. Sure, sure. Or they could have a way to do it that I will like. Yeah, that we're like, if you you told us, you know, that, we might be like, well, that's dumb. But then you do it in a certain way. It's like, oh, well, that's actually awesome. Right. Uh, Dylan from Alabama says, I find this episode good, but I noticed that when a human is shot, they feel feel a sting from a bullet. It looks sort sort of like a paintball impact. What do you think that means for the man in black? Is he wearing a shield that makes the bullets ricochet off him? Does he know how to circumvent the systems? I really like how the show plays... Too many video game tropes like cheat codes or whatnot. The uh, um, final option would be that he's just accustomed to the impact, but it looked to me like the bullets didn't phase him at all. Yeah. Ding, ding, ding. Winner, winner, chicken dinner, I feel like. He just takes it. Yeah. Because like I said, the first time you get shot by a paintball, you're like, son of a bitch, that hurt. Later that afternoon, or certainly if you keep playing the sport, like, you don't register. In fact, the biggest problem I see is fucking cheaters uh, pretending like they didn't get shot. Uh, oh right, yeah. So, because I always found that annoying. Like after, like the first couple of games, yeah, you see when someone's got paint on them. But the fourth or fifth game, 
I definitely saw motherfuckers getting shot and just not screaming. So <laughs> uh, I, I feel like that. Yeah, you get used to pain. Yeah. Uh, like diabetics. Like I, the, the fi- fact of getting me myself a shot every day horrifies me. If I got diabetes, 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 <laughs> I'm pretty sure I'd get used to doing that over death, and probably mm-hmm. wouldn't be a big deal at all. I like so. martial artists, they. Yeah, get used to the impacts. Yeah, they I've get seen the movies. To... They plunge their hands into <laughs> big things of stone, <laughs> no. and then by the, it wears it down to dust. Yeah, right. Yeah, they they pick up boiling cauldrons and brand their. Yeah, they do all kinds of weird shit. Talking about real life martial artists, <laughs> not some what? drunken master bullshit. What? That was a documentary. <laughs> oh man, you're shattering all my illusions. Uh, also, closing, uh, he's from Alabama, wants to know if we're going to be at the Yellowhammer party Friday. He's alluding to the Rocket City NerdCon. Yeah. Uh, which be there at least for a while. You don't have n- n- tickets, rocketcitynerdcon.org in Huntsville, Alabama. Yeah, I would say don't don't plan on us to shut the place down. Yeah. Because we got, we got, we're there to work, man. Partying <laughs> is not, to do and... the partying is not uh, high on our, I mean, definitely it's on our list of things to do. Um, but yeah, I wouldn't, I wouldn't say that we're going to close the place down. But yeah, we will be, we'll be there. Be there hanging out for a bit. Um, so if you want to guarantee uh, seeing us there, be there earlier rather than later, I'd say. Uh, that's all the emails we got. Okay. If you want to send us more, westworld at baldmove.com or on the forums. We have uh, lively show threads each week. People are posting their own theories and whatnot at forums.baldmove.com. We'll see what happens next week. Until then, I'm Aaron. And I'm Jim. Bye. <laughs>